0: What's up, guys? Before we get going today, I want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry along with years of wisdom and experience in the sports handicapping industry. These guys are the best in the business. They're also the king of promos. You need to go check them out. They've got monthly passes, daily passes. I'd recommend buying the full year package for all sports, but you can do sports centric packages that are weekly or monthly as well as seasonal. You can also just get a daily pass. If you just kind of want to see what these guys are about. And with my promo code RIPPY, you can get 20% off any purchase. Go check them out at skybox.com. They will have a package in your price range. They're also the king of promos. As I mentioned right now, they're going to run a pro they're running a promo for the Coca-Cola 600. So skybox is NASCAR wing, which these guys crush it. We're up 23 units on the season two weeks ago. May 30th, Coca-Cola 600. If Skybox picks the winner of the race in the plays they give out that week, they will give away thousand dollars to a random monthly subscriber. So the way you're eligible for this, there's a thousand bucks of free money if they pick the race correct. And I got a feeling they're going to pick the race correctly because these dudes know what they're doing. So all you have to do to be eligible for this $1,000 no string detached giveaway, just get a thousand bucks is you have to be subscribed to the monthly NASCAR package. So if you're a monthly subscriber, which is on top of their promo already. So if you've been listening to the podcast and you know that they're doing the monthly promo right now on NASCAR, where if you buy the monthly picks and it doesn't profit for the month of May, they're going to give you your money back. So you're either making money on the picks or you're completely getting your money back. Now you're either making money or, or you're gonna be entered in a chance to win $1,000 or both. So if you're a monthly subscriber to Skybox, you're eligible for this. You also need to go to Skybox Sports Picks on Twitter and you need to retweet and like the promo code and you will be entered into the contest. So, monthly subscriber, go find their tweet on Twitter. I will retweet it. It will be retweeted on my account while, after this is live. And it's Skybox Picks at Skybox Picks on Twitter, like and retweet it, and you'll be entered into it. That's a chance to win a 3000 bucks on top of the money you're going to make from the correct pitch. Now go check them out, skyboxsportfix.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Saw Greg this weekend. It was great to be back in Oxford. It's great to see an old friend, but you know the deal. Check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights podcast right now, that's rippywrights.substack.com. All you have to do, I say, podcast newsletter. All you have to do is go to ripperwrites.substack.com, type in your email, and you will get newsletters every week, every day, each week, as well as free meats. I would argue the uh, the latter there is probably better than the former, but I'm going to give you both. So that right now, subscribers are getting a fifteen dollar or ten dollar sixteen ounce prawn strip, and any second or third one you buy is fifteen bucks, along with two dollars off any fish in the fridge. So that's a pretty sweet deal for being a Rippy Writes newsletter subscriber. So make sure you're not missing out on that. Go subscribe to my newsletter each week. You'll get the podcast. You'll get all kinds of written thoughts as well as free meats. Who doesn't love free meats? So anyway, check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's our Sunday Megapod with Colin. All things Old Miss Vanderbilt. A huge series win for this team. Uh, The confidence that they got from it. We gathered and we got into Drew McDaniel, Jackson Kimbrell, what to do about Derek Diamond, some lineup reconstruction stuff. We hit it all and we took your questions at the end because we didn't do a mail back Friday. So check it out. Uh, let's go. I don't know what I'm saying. Check out for it. Let's roll into this podcast before I fumble through any more words. Let's go.
1: Rippy writes with Brian Scott.
0: Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of
1: bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
0: What's up? Happy Sunday night. I am Brian Scott Rippey. On the other end of the line, as he always is on Sunday nights, is Colin Brister. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Rippey Writes Podcast. This has turned into our Sunday mega podcast. Ole Miss takes two of three from Vanderbilt. I am actually just fresh back from Dallas after a hellacious travel day that we'll get to later. But I was in attendance for two of these games and watched the third one uh, in an airport while Colin was also texting me updates while I was in the air. So. Uh one appreciate the assist. Two, what's up?
1: Not much, not much. It uh something rarely seen in nature happened today. You know what it is? What was that? Ole Miss won two of three in a series.
0: That has never happened in the year twenty twenty one against an SEC team. Boom.
1: <laughs> what a weird stat. though. like, for, I wonder if this is the first time. Surely it's the first time in ever in Mike's tenure that this is that it took nine weeks to win two out of three.
0: Yeah, that is – there's no way that's happened before. I, I, I don't even have that. This is so weird. I don't have that looked up. There's no way that's happened before. But you know what was even crazier? You know, with the way Ole Miss was trending it going into this week, you know, you kind of assume, like, don't get swept. See if you can get one. Like, I guess what I'm trying to get at? There was a real world and a very real possibility that Ole Miss was going to go through the entire season without that happening. Because would you be shocked if they swept Georgia or they lost two or three? No. No, absolutely not. That would have been nuts. Can you call yourself good if you never take two or three?
1: D1 baseball would have had him as a three seed.
0: Yeah, like I just, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But yeah, that's a good point. I just, I don't know. I've never. That was crazy. So, uh, but that was. I mean, if you want to get into it, that was a a, a huge takeaway from this weekend. Sure. So it, it, this was the first. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to short sight what they did in Texas. But that weekend aside, this is the first time they took two or three from a really, really elite-caliber team. I I just frame it in the sense that, you know, they played pretty much the top four SEC teams. They played Arkansas – well, not Tennessee. So, they played Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Tennessee would be the other one. And you could throw Florida as the fifth best, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Four of the five and had not won a series against any of them so this was huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very huge. So, um, obviously, you know, a very big weekend for Ole Miss, especially without Gunnar Hoagland. Um, the series that, you know, it changes the, outsk- or the outlook for your, your postseason now because, you know, you're talking now about how you probably have got a host spot locked up barring a catastrophic event in uh, Athens next week, which probably involves getting swept, which I don't see happening. Um and 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 now you're talking about putting yourself in a position to go to Hoover and play for a national seed. Um, it's just kind of funny how this, this all right, like it people are were pissed off. Like and and, and if you ask an old the old miss fan, like, hey, give me a like three sentence synopsis of this season, I would say at least sixty five percent of them would be upset with like at the trajectory of the season because of how things have played out. But there's very few old miss teams in Mike Yenko's tenure that went into the last weekend at sixteen and eleven or better. Um, So, I mean, to put yourself in the position that this team has is is pretty impressive considering, you know, that that they did have a bunch of tough losses. They have lost their best hitter and they've lost their best pitcher.
0: Yeah, you're dead on with that. This has been such a strange year because – and I think some of it is the fact that you know two of the biggest games of the year, maybe the two biggest games of the year, I think Arkansas was probably more important, but a and m was later in the year and more consequential. The Sunday game against a and m and the Sunday game against Mississippi State, given the recent trend of what happened against Mississippi State, kind of almost directly falling on the shoulders of Mike Bianco not being on top of his game from a managerial standpoint kind of I mean, that throws gasoline on a flame that may not have even been that bad in terms of just in yeah. the team's performance. But you're dead on in the sense that this has been such a strange year because it felt like they've gone through so much. There's been so many losses that kind of frustrate the fan base and, and pisses them off, for the lack of a better phrase. But yet at the same time, like you mentioned, this group is 16-11. and 11. I mean, it's on the table that they finish with 19 league wins. I don't necessarily see that happening. But I see 18. I yeah, 18, definitely. I see 18. I don't know if I necessarily see 19, but the fact that that's on the table with the week left, like you said, not a ton of Mike Bianco teams have done that. I mean, even that 16 team that wasn't that good but swept all the time had to sweep the last weekend, if I'm not mistaken, to get
1: No, no, no. Right. I think you're thinking of the uh, maybe the 18 team. The 16 team was actually a game ahead. They actually had 17 wins going into the last weekend.
0: That's right. And they needed to go get a game against the yeah, – at a and That's right. That's right. I did have my years mixed up. But, yeah, it's crazy um, how that's happened. And what did that 18 team finish at? I can't remember.
1: 18 and 12. They were 13 and 11 after 24. And then they came home and swept Auburn and went to Tuscaloosa and won two, uh, one of the last day to win the West.
0: Yep, yeah, And so that team – you know, in that team, you didn't really think 19 was on the table late in the year, particularly finishing at 13-11. This team, it's, it's still very much on the table for them. It's it's so bizarre, and it's it's gone through a whole lot. And that's probably a good way to transition into the forget the metrics for a second and what we're sure. talking about from a host standpoint. Friday night's game, in particular, for this team, I think was their most important win of the year, their best win of the year, and possibly their most well played game of the year at all. Given what they endured last week against soccer excuse me, against Texas A and M, you get the sure. news on Gunnar Hoagland, and you come out and you beat Kumar Rocker and Vanderbilt on a Friday night and play a clean baseball game. You could sense it with the way those guys were moving around in the dugout, and you could sense the emotion in the later innings. That was a huge, huge, huge confident boost yeah. for a team that was really kind of running on fumes just from an adversity standpoint. I say that doesn't really make sense. I guess what I'm trying to say is they just felt fatigued by how much they'd gone through. And you just wondered if they would, you know, they were kind of pushed to the brink from an adversity standpoint. And, you know, instead of wilt, they did the exact opposite. I thought that was a massive win.
1: Yeah. Um, you talk about Friday night, right? So we talked on here, like, what do you, what do, you do with Doug Nicades? Do you move him to Friday night? Do you, do you move him to Saturday? Do you move him to Sunday? Or or do you leave him on Saturday and, and it's Diamond on Friday and McDaniel on Sunday? What do you do? And, and something I never considered and I should have when I did this. And, Mike, Uh, did a really good job of, of, of discussing this after the game. He said, look, he said, how do I look my kids in the eyes? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He's like, how do I look at my kids on Friday night and tell them I'm putting the best we've got out there if Doug DeCasey's not on the mound? It's like that, that, that screws with you mentally, especially what happened after, you know, I mean, uh, Texas and now Look, these kids know Derek Diamond struggled, and, and Drew McDaniel is, is – is, I think he's going to be fine, but he's not better than Doug Nikhazy in any stretch of the imagination. You needed your best guy to take the baseball on Friday night from a mentality standpoint and from, frankly, a guy that can match up with Kumar Rocker because, I mean, let's just keep it real. If Doug Nikhazy pitches on Saturday, this team likely is 0-2 going into Sunday. Um, yeah, so it,
0: you're exactly right about that. That's a great point. So I
1: just – you know, it was a great decision by Mike to put, it, put him on Friday. And he said after the game they thought about leaving him on Saturday, but they just realized, hey, if we're going to pitch him in Hoover on that Tuesday, we've got to do it this week. And and credit to them, they did. And obviously, man, look, look, there, there's not many better in the country than Doug Nikhazy. I know Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter uh, get all the accolades and whatever, but I can tell you right now, if there's one game and i got to win it, I, I want twenty six with the ball because every time that's the situation that kid just shows up.
0: He does, and he was unbelievable once again. I think that was a great point you made from a mentality standpoint because you know the the conversation we talked about in terms of the way the pitching sets up without Hoagland. I believe the initial part of that conversation started with us talking about what you do in a regional, and so sure. from a from a. From a mindset standpoint like you're you talk about facing the kids in the locker room I think they would understand that strategic play right? sure yes absolutely. don't waste Doug against a four seed to where it's going to be I mean how I guess that 16 team got a Pac-12 champion Utah as their four seed but normally right. it's going to be a mid to yeah. and you they get that whereas like you said if you leave him on Saturday or even and I'm not saying that he would have done this or considered it or like backload it and put him on Sunday for your best chance to win a game. That is kind of a weak mentality of I'm just trying to get out of here with one versus I believe in my guys and I think we can win this series.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. And frankly, I Miss didn't do as well as I thought they would. I did not think there was a world um, – where Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter would both come into Oxford, Mississippi and, and both shut Ole Miss down. Ole Miss is too talented offensively to let that happen. Um, and they got after Rocker a little bit. Now, yeah, he settled down and was dominant for five innings or four innings after the the runs in the second, third inning. But that's why you have Doug McCasey on your team and they don't, because he was able to he was able to settle down. I mean, he was able to shut down what we saw on uh for the first four innings on Sunday and the Whole game on Saturday is one of the best offenses in the country. Um, now, if I'm Vanderbilt, I do have a little bit of questions, especially after Sunday. It's like, can we hit left-handed pitching? Because, my God. Um, but credit to Doug. Credit to obviously we'll get into this. Jackson Campbell, they, they were electric uh, all day long in, in both of their performances and shut down one of the best offenses in the country.
0: And Ole Miss was just really, really good on Friday night from an offensive approach standpoint Rocker because it's not like Rocker was terrible. He only won no. the guy. He struck out eight and he only gave up five hits. Ole Miss just put together three really good pieces of hitting, and they scored enough runs. They gave their guy a little bit of a cushion and closed it out. And what was – don't you think that was – that's got to be up there with – I mean, I'm sure there's one Arlington weekend, their most cleanly played game all year. That was really just um, a well-played baseball game from both sides.
1: Yeah, the only other one I can could- – uh, the Friday night game against Auburn kind of seemed that like that but yeah uh, other than that it, it was um, and it just kind of I don't know what it was you were in the stadium Friday night it, it for whatever reason uh, the stadium kind of felt nervous a little bit and then they get the lead and, and you kind of knew once Doug had a 3-0 lead like eh, this joker's over because they're going to Broadway in the 8th and Mandy ain't hitting him um, if he ain't got to throw three innings and this joker's probably over and For and I mean I mean, they got one guy on against Broadway and it was lights out after that. Did you, by the way, see, I don't know, I don't know where you were sitting, but he was throwing something at like 88 to 90 miles an hour and his fastball was still 94, 95. He was throwing something at 88 to 90 with like freakish movement.
0: So my brother, it's funny you mentioned that. My brother was sitting next to me at the game And Ash was like, he was like, is that his fastball? What is wrong? Like, what is that? And it came in at 89 twice, and that's what perked my ears up because I didn't notice it initially, and he did it a second time. And I was like, what is that? And then I kind of blurted out slider, and I was like, well, unless he knows – like, unless something has happened with his arm, I don't think Broadway's got the 90-mile-an-hour slider yet. I don't know what that was. It's something with movement. Mike called it a slider after the game, but I think it's more of a cutter whatever man. if that's a slider, it, uh, maybe keep throwing those uh, because
1: that was nasty.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that that you see guys I mean you're not you're not seeing it at the big league level the elite level guys are throwing their slider 90 miles an hour. there's there's you know in the world of day and age now where you know 96, 95 mile an hour fastballs are more common kind of the new 95 miles – what 95 miles an hour 96 miles an hour was 20 years ago now seems to be hitting the 90 club with your slider. Is that off base?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it feels about right. It, it's it feels nuts.
0: about right. Uh, but you're right. It was something different. And, yeah, you mentioned the crowd and you mentioned getting behind it. It also felt like – it also felt like people in that stadium kind of knew this was a rallying point. Oh, Miss gets the early lead. They're trying to hang on. They knew this was a huge game because – just how deflating would that have been if you don't hold on and you lose four to five to three? I don't think the rest of the weekend goes like it does um, in terms of Ole no. Miss Sunday uh, if, if that kind of happens. I just think that would have been so incredibly deflating. So I think it was that. Maybe a little bit of nerves about that. But I also think they kind of sensed the same thing those guys in the dugouts did. They wanted to make a statement that, you know, I know we've been dealt a terrible – I'm just speaking from their vantage point. I know we've been dealt a terrible hand, but we're not done yet. And that kind of felt like the energy they gave off on uh Friday night. And I think the stadium fed off of that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm complete, complete agreement with you that it just, look, I mean, you, you, you get good swings out of TJ McCants and out of Kevin Graham and then you get the three Oh lead and you know, rocker. I thought this was interesting. He hits that ball. And I don't know if you saw rocker after Graham's home run. He was just like, all right, man, screw this. Cause he kind of just was like, I, I made a good pitch. And that kid just hit it in the middle of those drunk students. Um, and so it kind of felt like after that rocker settled in but it's like I said earlier there was never to me going to be this rocker lighter shutdown of the Ole Miss offense I thought they would get to both of or one of them at some point and you just kind of hope the day you do you have enough pitching to get through it and uh, look like we said I mean they, they don't touch lighter up very much at all but you know the, the game plan against him is obviously get the ball out of the ballpark because you're not stringing hits together and, and credit to them for I honestly think you know look, we'll get into the the series um, Saturday Saturday's game here in a minute. but I thought from a sta- uh, from a game plan standpoint, they had a really good offensive game plan all three days.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. and I agree with your your sentiment about you know, you figured they'd get to one of them, you just didn't know which one. And I'm not talking Shellum, because that didn't actually happen to either no. one. get them, one of them enough to give them a chance to have a lead late in the game. And that's exactly um that's exactly what happened. And man, you look at the other side of it. One last note on Nakezey. When you look at what Vanderbilt did offensively the last two days and what that lineup's been for the last month and a half now, Nakezey holding those dudes down to a run on or no, i guess the run wasn't even him was it i can't remember did he allow the homers? no no it
1: was yeah it was the, it, yeah, the it was one, home
0: run one run on five hits with 10 strikeouts with that lineup given the damage they did the rest of the weekend i mean good god what a remarkable performance
1: no they have vandy has a left-handed pitching problem that they, they they struggle against left-handers i think that was pretty evident this weekend
0: yeah i think you're exactly correct and and uh, you know for as much flack as mike bianco gives and i'm jumping ahead real quick we'll cover it more in a minute but you know, credit to him for going to Kimbrell. I, I, that had to have been what he saw because it wasn't just, hey, let's try Kimbrell in this moment. Like, that had to have been, that had to have played – that had to have been what that decision uh,
1: I think the original game plan, if I'm honest, I think the original game plan was, all right, we got five innings to cover with McDaniel, Miller, and Kimbrell. And then Kimbrell just didn't stop getting folks out, and they're like, well, hell with it. Let him roll. <laughs> like, I think the original game plan was five innings from those three two from Doherty and two from Broadway. And then Kimball just didn't stop getting folks out.
0: Absolutely. But, like, I guess, um, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, I mean, Kimbrell's been really, really, really struggled. I mean, if you look at his outings over there, I don't have it pulled up. I had it pulled up a second ago. But the fact that, you know, he goes to him you know, over the, the, the Josh Mallett thing, he can't quit. <laughs> See, like he had to have identified what, how they'd struggled against left-handers. I imagine it's happened earlier in the year. And then what happened against the Casey that had to play at least. Yeah.
1: In it. Just off the top of my head, they struggled against Ryan Webb from Georgia who was a left-handed pitcher. Um, yeah. That, now that I'm um, from state pitched okay against them. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's, they struggle against lefties and, and I mean, I don't know if like you said, it was Mike realized that or, or, just kind of lucked into it, but uh, give credit to whoever because because it wound up working out. I mean, you talk about Kimbrell. I don't know his final line for today, but I think it was something like 3.1 and gave up one earned run um, and only gave up, I think, three hits. I mean, yeah, the kid, kid was a freak show today.
0: Yeah, he was, and I'm trying to pull up the statistics too, but I've got bunk Wi-Fi, so that's been a nice top to <laughs> this already uh, hellacious day of travel. Anyway, <laughs> what would you say? Oh, I was just saying I can pull it up. Oh, yeah, we. Talk, I can't get it to pull up. But we uh, – so, getting to – there it goes. As soon as I complain, it gets to that. His last two outings – well, he did throw two-thirds scoreless in, uh, against, against A&M. him, but his last couple of SEC outings not been good. The Arkansas one was bad. The LSU one was bad. It's pretty good against Florida. Maybe his struggles are exaggerated a little bit. But, I mean, you've watched it. He, uh, you know, he's he been walking dudes, and he he'd not, he, he not pitched well to that point. Um, he didn't even pitch well, particularly against Little Rock in the midweek, but might trust him enough to there, go there. Today was two and a third innings of two earned runs on three hits with three strikeouts and a walk. That's exactly yeah, what Ole Miss needed.
1: Three walks today for Ole Miss, by the way. Pretty impressive. No
0: do play against I, that lineup. I was about to say, and that 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 that's not – you're not having six or seven of that eaten up by a starter like they've been used to the first two days, which makes that stat even more impressive. So, if we get back to Friday, you get to Broadway uh, – I guess I guess this is a good sidebar. Uh, we, our podcast family grew over the weekend. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. and Mrs. Broadway. Uh, I appreciate them reaching out. They're big fans of the podcast. They uh they like me. They love you. So, uh, <laughs> well, any- I, I, may have to, I may have to watch more games
1: with them because I watched the bottom of the third inning with Ole Miss scored ten runs with him. Stuff. You need to go
0: stand there more. I uh, they, they uh, awesome human beings. Yeah, they are. They were incredibly sweet people. I really appreciate them reaching out. It was a pleasure, uh, pleasure meeting them. But uh, so we met them, and then Taylor. I actually right after I got done talking to them, I think Taylor came in the next inning on Friday night. But I really enjoyed meeting them. I appreciate them reaching out. I appreciate uh, them listening. Uh, can you start saying something bad about Broadway so I could maybe move up the rankings a bit? <laughs> I'll try to get you to no. neg him or something. I mean, you can't really do anything baseball-related because you like you don't like his hat or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm gonna get you to neg him before the year's over. That's my challenge.
1: It's gonna be hard. It's gonna <laughs> be real hard.
0: <laughs> it is gonna be hard. we are probably going to trying, but no, I'm done. Uh, I'm totally kidding. I they were really sweet people. I really enjoyed meeting them. Um, and I appreciate them listening to this show. It was uh it was cool to hear feedback from, from kind of some of the listeners over the weekend and, and especially them. So I enjoyed meeting them, but anyway, it gets it gets to the ninth, I mean, it gets to the eighth, and you no, know, it wasn't necessarily 100% stress-free, but y- you felt pretty good with that guy on the hill after what you yeah. done. I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of qualms. Uh, or I guess I didn't have a whole lot of uncertainty about where that game was headed barring something unlucky.
1: No, I mean, I think the first guy reaches, um, on a, I don't remember what it was, but and then he retires the next six. I mean, Vanderbilt didn't see the baseball, frankly, I mean, People kind of wigged out in the ninth inning on, on Sunday. And, and obviously, we'll get back Friday or second, but like he struck the first guy out. Dunhurst doesn't block the pitch. Um, and then he strikes the next two guys out. People were concerned because they hit a ball pretty hard off the wall. It's like, no, this, this kid's fine. Um, I did, and I don't know what the mindset was, but I don't know. And I don't know um, where you picked up on Sunday, but I, I was shocked they didn't kind of bring him in in the eighth and try to let him finish it but yeah like you said on Friday night um he retires six of seven that he's faced um look his first appearance of the weekend if it's if it's in a closed situation he's not having to be you know throw three or four innings he's pretty much been unhittable in those situations like if he's not having to be extended more than two innings I mean he, he's frankly just been unhittable
0: yeah, he really has, and you, your, your point about Sunday, it's a day where the ball is clearly jumping. Dudes are hitting him out left and right. It, it was a hugely offensive day, and that's also Broadway for the second time in a weekend and not the first, and I was kind of curious right. as to how they would handle that because I didn't know and was having a hard time looking up how many pitches he threw. 32. Friday, um, it was 30 – yeah, thirty. this one has 33, whatever. You get the point. It actually wasn't quite as much as I thought, though. Like, I guess uh, my first guess – and I know I knew it was only two innings, but my guess, because he did have to work a little bit, even though we all had sure. one hit, was because that kid number – what was the kid? The kid, kid had a 15-pitch at bat. Isaiah Thomas, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had a – yeah, exactly. And he had to really battle against him. That was a really good battle. That was a hell in a bat by that kid. Point being, I was curious how they would handle Broadway. I knew he probably – I guess if they had come to it, and Ole Miss was in a position to win, they might have gone back to him yesterday. But I figured they were yeah. going to try to avoid that. So, I just – I guess I was curious how much he had in the tank today without knowing the pitch count for Friday off the top of my head. But 33, definitely not an issue, and he was really good. I I didn't really have much concerns about that either. But seals it on Friday, gets to save a huge win. Uh, Saturday, not a great day for Ole Miss. I feel like like we could
1: summarize Saturday in, like, two sentences. Uh, Jack Leiter was unhittable, and Derek Diamond had a bad day. Like, I don't really think there's much – It just kind of feels like that was one of those, that's baseball. Like, we probably do need to talk about Derek Diamond. But, you know, there's really not much you can say offensively. Jack Beider was really freaking good. Like, what do you do? Um, It was always, if you were going to win, you're going to have to hold him off the scoreboard because that kid was dominant and there wasn't a whole lot you could do. So, uh, didn't really have a bunch of takeaways from Saturday. It was just kind of one of those, that's baseball deals.
0: I agree. That's Mike Bianco's favorite term is that baseball, that's baseball. And and
1: I think that's stupid most times, but it kind of was on Saturday.
0: I agree because, you know, we talked about. I almost felt like we, because we, we've been, you starting it as well, but you, we've been beating the drum about how, yeah, these guys are great prospects and they're really good pitchers, but to act like they're having some historic run at Vanderbilt this year in terms of just college baseball and numbers, not what they'll be sure. as captains, has been a little bit overrated or overcovered or exaggerated, whatever the term you want to use is. But at the same time, they're both very, very good, and they're oh, very, very, nasty, and they throw very hard. And Leiter had looked human a couple of times over the last month. I don't think he reached the sixth inning in his last two previous starts. Maybe it was three. I'll go back and look it up. But, you know, he looked human before. But with that said, when he's on, he's still Jack Leiter, and there's a reason that that hype train was created because they're really damn good. And he was absolutely on his mm-hmm. game on Saturday. He was masterful. And like you mentioned, yeah, it didn't go well for Ole Miss. didn't go well for Derek Diamond. But, I mean, when that game got to 3 4 nothing, with the way Leiter was pitching, I wasn't going to say it was over, but for all <laughs> intents and purposes, it certainly felt that way with the way he was pitching. He was, and then the one opportunity Ole Miss got in the sixth when his command started to slip a little bit, they yeah. swung at some really bad pitches. And you mentioned the, uh, the 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 game plan at the plate being good. I agree in that sense. I thought Ole Miss helped lighter's cause on a day where they certainly didn't need to do that as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you think about the first inning, right? It's like uh, you know, Jacob Gonzalez walks on four pitches and the next pitch Peyton and, and you hits ground bar right at the second baseman. Um so yeah, it was some unfortunate things happened, some some not great plate discipline um that what they wanted to do was try to wait lighter out try to run his pitch count up get him out of the game but the reality is if he's in the strike zone it's not a hell of a lot you can do about it um and after that four pitch walk to gonzalez he was pretty much back into the strike zone until the sixth inning and you know the game had kind of gotten out of hand at that point um just kind of is what it is i i didn't i didn't have a whole lot of qualms with the issue or with the offense on on saturday the the issue on saturday is the guy that's starting the baseball game um just not good enough. And, and, and I hate it for the kid. But, you know, it's, I, I said this in, in Thursday's podcast, um, Ole Miss cannot win. And I still believe this. Ole Miss cannot win without Derek Diamond. Now, you have to figure out what Derek Diamond's best role is, and you have to figure out what you want to do with him. And Saturday obviously did not go well. But I still believe that this team cannot win in the postseason without him pitching and pitching
0: well. It's the – you're exactly right. It's the Parker Caracci theory that we had. And, you know, you saying that, seriously, he's giving me flashbacks of Mike sitting at that podium in Hoover, what, in 2019. 19, yeah. had had those struggles. And, you know, he said the same thing. He said, I do not believe we can win in the postseason without Parker Caracci. It's the same thing with Derek Diamond. There's, you know, there, there's no quitting on this kid. Like, there's no giving up. I, like, you can't just, like, all right, move on and kind of bury him for a month. Like, he has to pitch, and he has to pitch well every weekend. It wasn't good enough this we can, like you mentioned, he really struggled and oh, he wasn't sharp anyway. I mean, hell Vanderbilt, not all off of him, but Vanderbilt hit seven home runs on the day. I can't remember how many came off him, but even not being that sharp, the moral, not the more alarming part. One of the alarming parts to me about it is it, it. I mean, how many of the runs again came with two outs, right? Like you could have gotten off the field at three, nothing or something. And it becomes five or six. I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember off the top of my head, but like, the inability to mitigate any sort of damage. Like, didn't he get to 3-0 and he allowed another kid on then another kid hit one over the fence? Yeah. Like, how many times has happened with him this year? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he just he, – his inability to mitigate damage at all. Like, it's always worst-case scenario is really, really killing him. Because if he gets off the field there at 3-0, okay, you had a bad okay. inning, go back to the dugout. See if you can give your team three more zeros or something or leave it at four and see if you have a chance. When he gets to six or seven, you're toast.
1: Yeah, so here's what I'll – I'll present you with this about Derek Diamond, um, and, and, I'll, and then I'll ask you what you think that Ole Miss should do. Um, so his first time through the order is pretty good. If you take out the Arkansas game, where obviously the kid blew up and had a tough outing. But if you consider starts against uh, – let's go through it, Alabama, Auburn, um, Florida – and then the starts against LSU, and I gave him a start against A and and Vanderbilt. That's fair. Like to call A and M was a, st- a start. Is probably fair, right? He throws three and a third, or four and a third. That that seems fair, right?
0: Sure. You're you're, you're basically okay. what you're trying to get at is he's seeing the lineup more than one time, right?
1: He if you take out that Arkansas series has an OPS under 500, um, first time through, second time, and even beyond is like 950. At some point, don't you have to say, all right, I've got to figure out what the best role for this kid is to see the lineup one time. Whether that's, hey, I'm going to start him on Saturday. He's going to see the lineup one time, try to get me three innings. Maybe he goes to the top of the order a few hitters to get through that third inning, and i got to get his tail out. Or maybe it's in the bullpen where, hey, he throws two high leverage innings. Um, But I just kind of think at this point, like, those numbers are relevant. And if you're going to say, and I do believe this, this kid has to get me out or I can't win, you have to figure out what that role is. I don't think Ole Miss's best path with Derek Diamond is continuing to send him out there and asking him to roll through this order two and three times. I just kind of think at this point in the year, those numbers, are uh, they are germ- they're germane to the conversation. And you just have to be able to figure out what's the best role for him to go through this order one
0: time. Uh, I couldn't agree more, and uh, I, I made a trip up to the press box to see some uh, old friends. Real tight ship they're running up there from a security standpoint. I just walked right in. Um, but, <laughs> anyway, you're exactly right, but I say that to say S- Nick Suss pointed – it was good to see him this weekend as well. I saw a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a while, and he pointed that out as well. He's like, he's fine through the first time. And what happened the first time through the order this time? You know, yeah. Three Tom, pitch, one Tomlin or- – yeah, exactly. He hits it over the fence. Okay, kid had, I, mean, that was, I think that was the kid's first at bat since the eight, the 15 pitcher to Broadway. He's a tough hitter. He's right. a good, good baseball player. You know, one-nothing wasn't going to kill you. It's the solo home run in the second. And then where does it come back to bite him? I mean, where does things go, begin to go awry for him? It's the fourth. Like a third time they third. Go, go through the order. I think he saw – I mean, it's basically the same thing. He gets through the third. That's the first time through the order. Bradfield, the leadoff hitter, came back up. But the fourth uh-huh. inning is really when he saw the second time through the order and, you know, walk, homer, fly out, walk, strike out, homer. Yep. And, like, if you can eliminate that second home run and strand the guy. You still got a chance to give your team a little bit more length. And instead, you know, he does make it back out for the fifth. I think he got it out and had to go. But, like, the, the Jones home run that made it 5 nothing is a killer. But what's crazy about it is, one, I agree with you. I want to revisit your point in a second. Even when it's going bad, like the ability and the stuff standpoint is still impressive at times. So the Colwick, Colwick, whatever his name was after the Jones home run, yeah, Diamond threw him a disgusting slider to strike he him did. out. Looking after that, and then just walked out and kind of looked defeated. And it's like, <laughs> where was that three hitters ago, right? That type of thing. And so you you can see the abilities there is just inability to remain consistent and mitigate damage, like I said. And to your point. It is a, it definitely a thing second time through the order. But when you're trying to find him or, or trying to find someone to be a pretty serviceable Saturday guy to at least somewhat fill the void you lose with Hoagland, what do you do? Because you can't have your Saturday guy go out there for three innings and bullpen the rest of it, can you? Um, I could argue that it's better
1: than asking Derek Diamond to go through it. I mean, if your options are – bullpen a Saturday game or ask Derek Diamond to go through the order two and three times, I would argue that bullpenning the Saturday game is better for the Rebels.
0: No, you're right about that. I, I said can't. They could obviously certainly do well, it. Alright, right. <laughs> here, here, hear me out. Here's what I do.
1: I, I try to I try like crazy to not have to use anybody but uh, Nikhazy and Broadway on Friday. And, and I don't think that's I don't really think that's that impossible. Like, I think what happened on Friday night uh, is something that can continue to happen. I think they can go Doug Broadway, you know what I'm saying? And you know, and then on Saturday, you just get through five innings with whatever you got and look up and see what the score is and say, All right, do I want to use Dope Doherty here or not? Like, I, I kind of think that would be my plan is all right, let's just go Doug Broadway on Friday and then figure out a way to get through five innings on Saturday. And well, I guess it would be actually Friday this week, so we're back Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, get through five innings on Friday and look up and say, all right, do I want to use Jack Gordy or do I not? Is the score close? Is it tied in my head? If it is, I'll go to him. If not, I'll just kind of figure. I'll kind of piece it together to the end. Um, I think that would be my
0: plan. I agree, and it's tell me that's or I
1: start Jack Gordy,
0: one or the other. That is also. I mean, it's it's all. But when you're talking about like like in my mind, you're talking about if you even if you start Gordy, you're talking about six innings, right? If you can get six innings out of the two of them. And just yeah. see where you're at, like three, maybe more. You know, you can get more if you can, obviously. But that, that my mom is kind of going the same way. It's like you get in through. If you can get in through three, him being diamond, that next spot seems to be. You know, I think it's. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's completely realistic. And I'm not saying you said this to expect to just go Doug Broadway every time. But and say you had to use someone else, whatever the one of the two between Doherty and Myers, you didn't have to use on Friday or game one, we'll put it that way, because I know the scheduling is about to get weird with Hoover next week. In game one, you try to get a lot of length out of that other guy, whether it's Doherty or Myers in game two. And like you said, look up after six innings and just see where you're at and see what the situation calls for there. Because I guess there's also a world where, you know, if you only need an inning out of Tyler Myers or something to get it to Broadway on Friday, he could come back Saturday unless he threw a ton of pitches. But I agree. True. Basically, what we're getting down to is, one, you really got to have a tight leash with Derek Diamond after his first time through the order. And as soon as things begin to even look like they're going awry, just pull the trigger and go with the Myers or Doherty. Because you can live if it goes awry a little bit and it'll Miss is down 2 nothing or something when it goes sideways. But when it goes 6 against most Saturday guys, like rest of night, uh, that's, not a, that's not a situation they're going to be able to overcome and come back. With. So it seems like you go 3-ish with them try to piece together three or four with those other two and just see where you're at. It's that teams all, it, It's a narrow path, but what else are they going to do at this point, you know?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, we said earlier this week, hey, this team's got to find a, a bullpen arm, and, and credit to them. It looks like they may have found one. Um, you know, and look, I need to see Kimball do it again. But uh, that looked impressive. looked really impressive.
0: Yeah, it, it did. It, it, it certainly did. There's not a world before we get to that because I, I the Sunday there's certainly more to talk about for sure. I mean there's no world where I guess what I'm I'll ask it in two ways. One, there's no real need to move McDaniel up to Saturday or game. No, two. No. I don't see how that makes any sense.
1: No. Um I mean at this point, right, because you can't really do it cuz he threw Sunday and I guess he only threw 3.2 innings, but I mean you're talking about 4 days of rest. Um, and shorten him two days rest. So, no, I, I don't – I leave him where he's at. I, I just let him be comfortable. Um, especially because he's going to throw on Saturday next week. And if Ole Miss is still in Hoover, he's probably going to throw on Friday or Saturday next week. Now, I will tell you this. Here's what I will say. Uh, Drew McDaniel is who I throw against the four seed in a regional.
0: Oh, for sure. And you talk about uh, – yeah, in talking about that, you throw him against the four seed in the regional, and depending on where the game's at, if you need it, I mean, am I crazy to say you could de- technically go diamond in relief if you need it?
1: You you could. The hope, man. Look, and I don't think this gets talked enough about when people talk about regionals. Um, Ole Miss is going to destroy a four seed's pitching. Like, they just are. I mean, we're talking about a team that destroys SEC pitching past Friday night. And you're not going to see a Friday night arm from a four seed. Ole Miss is going to score 12 or 13 runs, in my opinion, against a four seed. Drew McDaniel could give you six innings and give up three or four runs. You're going to win the game easy.
0: Yep, certainly agree with that. The second part of the question I was going to throw at you is, and you kind of hit on it earlier, uh, mentioning, like, I guess you could start Doherty. There's not a world where Diamond's not starting next weekend in Athens, is there? I just don't see that. No. Because
1: what Mike can say, and if you go back and watch that game, what Mike can convince himself of is that Vanderbilt did hit some good pitches out. And, frankly, they did. They hit some tough pitches out of the ballpark. They also hit some really hanging sliders out of the ballpark, too. So, Mike will convince himself this week that uh, Domino's fine and will take the ball on Friday in Georgia. And I don't necessarily disagree with it. Where I'm going to have a problem with that is after he goes through the first time of the order – and he starts getting hit the second time like get him out that's where you know I'm fine starting him but you need to be very very careful after the first time through that order
0: well said I don't really have a ton to add to that because I think that's exactly correct and we just kind of outlined the plan there the only other last encompassing thought I'll I'll give and I think most people out there listening know this there is no like pull diamond on Sunday and just figure it out with someone else like they, they know that like, this is what they have to work with and they have to find a made, a way to make it work. Right. Like there is no, you know, we gunner or whatever. And you had drew McDaniel, who we argued for a month or so, whether he should enter the rotation or whatever. And it kind of got a little weird with the out. Like there is no pull diamond in favor of blank. This is what you have. This is who you have available to you. Yeah, Find a way to be competitive in game two.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, but like at the end, in the end, does it really matter right because if i am mike bianco like yes you you continue to start Derek diamond you start him friday in georgia that's fine uh start in the tournament whatever but does it really matter right because you're gonna throw drew mcdaniel uh if it's me against the four seed you're gonna beat them you're gonna throw doug against the two or three seed and i don't really think anybody's gonna beat doug mccasey in original um so you're two and oh like Does it matter if you start Diamond at that point? Like, you are you know, start your best available at that point to me. Um, uh, But, yes, I'm completely with you in that, like, yeah, you're going to keep throwing this kid out there and hoping he figures it out because if he figures it out, the talent is is good enough to get you through and get you what you need. And there's not really a ton of other guys that you can say that about.
0: That's sort of the tantalizing part about it, too, because we were texting each other during the game and during that start. And it kind of goes back to my example of – he gives up the two bad home runs in the fourth and then throws a disgusting slider to freeze the kid looking and just kind of walks directly to the dugout as soon as the pitch left his hand. It's like, where is that five minutes ago type of thing? That's the tantalizing and almost frustrating part about it is a lot of it with this kid is mental. And I don't know. Yeah. But, and granted, like you said, he makes mistakes. He throws hanging pitches. I'm not saying he's, he's dominant. And he, he's all completely in his own head. But there's certainly a mental aspect of it, and I'll just pose it to you because, um, you know, I've never so much as been in charge of five year olds in terms of baseball. Standpoint. Like, what do you do about that at this juncture?
1: Confidence is like cash; you got to have some to make some. You, you know, who said that?
0: Who said that?
1: That would be the philosopher Andy Kennedy. Um,
0: I like that. I like that.
1: So, I mean, it's 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 cliche, but like. That's what it is. You just got to go out there and throw well, man. Like, I can't make that kid be confident. I can't, I can't help him. Like, he's just got to go do it. Um, you can play psychologist all you want. And if you go back and watch the game, um, after, after he comes out, you could see like the kid was shaking up. He, he was upset and he had a bad outing. And Mike, like, goes up to him and, and, and Mike's nicest way possible is from what I could gather, it was like, Hey, man, it's okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to be okay. Um, but eventually like the kid just has to, you can't do it for him. He's just got to go get it done. And, you know, I think Derek Diamond by the time he leaves Ole Miss is going to be a really good pitcher. Um, Unfortunately, kind of for him, Ole Miss is in a position with Hoagland out. Like he doesn't have time to be the good pitcher next year. They need him to be the good pitcher right now. And like, here's the thing too. He doesn't have to be that good. (laughs) Excuse me. Like, Go give me five innings and four runs, man. Like, can you do that? Because if you can give – if, honest to God, if you say, hey, every time Derek Diamond is going to throw the rest of this year, he's going to give up four runs and five innings, I'd say deal. Like, this offense will take care of it after that. It's – he doesn't have to be that great. He just has to be serviceable. And, and man, it starts this weekend because I think he's going to get the opportunity against Georgia. And, like I said, I would be extremely careful letting him roll through that lineup. More than one time, if I don't have a lead or I'm up two or three runs. But, um, you know, the the game plan and I think his ceiling and what you would want from him right now is just, man, give me five innings and keep me in the game, kind of like Drew McDaniel does, right? Like at AM last week, was Drew McDaniel great?
0: No. He kept you in the game, though. After and that's what any mitigated right. damage like we we're kind of and getting at. That's not what
1: Diamond does. He can't keep you in it. I mean, Drew goes out today and gives up the two spot, but you know what he did? He got off the field. Ole Miss goes in and puts up 10. I mean, just give, give me a chance. Keep me in the game. And if Diamond can do that, I think that'll be, be a success for Ole Miss.
0: That's a great example of that today that I hadn't even necessarily thought about. I was kind of looking at it from the offense rebounded standpoint. But you're right. Because I mean, that could have gotten worse. And McDaniel gets him off the field and the offense kind of, takes, kind of, kind of gets him back for it. The, the frustrating part about – the diamond confidence thing is maybe I'm crazy, but this is just a theory I had. I was sitting there thinking about this on the plane today. His—it's not necessarily. Maybe it is partially demeanor. I'm not saying he's out there pouting and like not in control of his emotions. I, that's not what I'm getting at at all. But he does look defeated sometimes, like you said. And you said when he was coming off the field for a Saturday, he kind of looked a little bit shaken up. It's almost making his starts and things seem worse than they are. Because when you hear, like, people discuss and talk about Diamond, it's, it's, it's as if he's gotten shelled every time he's gone out there. And that's not really been the case. He's been good on a lot of occasions. And the best example I can give is the kid needs a little more Zach Phillips in him from a confidence standpoint. Because yes. if you look at their side-by-side numbers, Phillips had a way, way, way worse start to his year when he got sure. in that rotation and really got banged up against some inferior clubs But you talk to that kid, his confidence in himself never wavered. He would just brush it off as, I mean, a lot of times he said, eh, just bad luck. I just missed a few pitches. Now, that's not always true, but it's his mindset. He was never defeated or deterred, and he pitched some big innings for Ole Miss down the stretch of that 2019 late season run into the postseason. I mean, he was huge for them in Hoover when they had to have him be huge. He started the SEC championship game for them. And Diamond is one infinitely more talented. Two has not as had as rough of a start or rough of a season as Phillips did that year, and it never faced Phillips.
1: Oh, no. and, and Diamond, like you said, is infinitely more talented than, than Zach Phillips. Um, but you know, it's it's reality is the kids just gotta pitch better. It's not and I haven't had a chance to go and see what Mike said after the game about his outing. Um, but obviously it wasn't good enough. And and he's gotta be better. Um, and, and I don't know how Mike's going to manage it. I know how I would, I would, I would let him start, but I'm, I'm telling you after that first time through the order, um, I, I try to get three innings out of him and let me keep, keep me in the game. And then I'd assess where I'm at. Am I up, am I up five to one? If I'm up five to one, I can take a little bit of a chance. If I'm not, I got to do something else. Cause I, I, I cannot continuously watch that kid get bashed in the second time through the order. Um, and I think that's Mike's job. Like, you know, you have to know those numbers. You have to know that he struggles going through. And and to Mike's everlasting credit, I will give him this. Gunnar Hoagland had this problem, right? He couldn't get through the lineup a second time, and Mike didn't screw around with Hoagland. Like, the second time through, if he's struggling, he came out. I kind of think it's to that point with Diamond where you have to have that approach.
0: Yeah, that's completely correct. And then, (coughs) talk about the not screwing around with Hoagland thing. You saw that particularly towards the end of the year. And, obviously – I mean the, the the greatest example of it was the super regional where you know if you lose you'll literally go home. As soon as things got screwed with Hogan in that super regional game, he was like, "Nah, I'm just gonna figure out how to lose this. Like, how to if we're gonna lose, we're gonna do this somewhere else. And we're gonna stay in this as long as we can." It didn't end up mattering that day, but you especially saw that towards the end of the season. So, yep, yeah, it is what it is with him. Like in the sense that he's got to pitch better for Ole Miss to have a chance, and if they do, like he did against Auburn, like he's done at times against Alabama, like he did in relief against whoever that was that I'm just now blanking well, on. LSU,
1: the start against LSU. Well,
0: that's what I was getting to next. That start against LSU on short notice. Like, if he can get that version out of him, this team's got a chance with his offense. And if they don't, I'm not saying they have no chance, but it's going to be a hell of a lot more difficult. So, yeah, I think we surmised that pretty good. Let's move on to Sunday. I, what a wild game. So can I do, I was going to complain about travel afterward, but I'll just mirror this entire game with my day. Okay. So. 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock this morning, I have an 11.50 flight out of Memphis back to uh, Dallas because my whole plan was to come back and be back in time to watch this game on my TV because I knew if Ole Miss had gotten one in the first two, this was going to be a massive game for the fate of their season, which is exactly what it turned out to be. So I was like, right, I want to get back and watch in time. And I went and ate breakfast with Peter and Mark Ortega. Remember the Ortega brothers? They were back right. this weekend. They were sitting with Jim. Great to see them. Good dudes. Got something coming on that uh, later this week. Anyway, when we ate breakfast at them we we're at the, the IHOP. Grown very fond of that place. Um
1: IHOP's good. I, I I a lot of people complain about the Oxford for IHOP. Big fan of IHOP.
0: I uh, I like IHOP too. I don't people complain about IHOP, they could, they could just turn this off. I, I don't want to really be associated with that. I love IHOP. And I, we, I was wanting to go somewhere quick cuz like I had about an hour and the odds of us just walking into BBB on a Sunday not uh, great. probably not going to be great. So anyway, we're at the IHOP. i I get my uh I get a text as I'm leaving to go like literally drive to Memphis to the airport. It's like, your flight's been canceled. It's like, not delayed. Just, just not happening. That bad boy's not going, going off into the sky. Not getting so, in the air today. Yeah. <laughs> you sir will not be leaving this state. So then they're like, no worries. We rebooked you. That's, I saw the time said 545. Okay, whatever. I watched the game in the airport. I'll have a beer. And I was like, Oh, actually this says 545 on Monday. That's not going to fly. Cause I have a job I'd like to keep. <laughs> long story short after hours of finagling i think i'm gonna get on the this flight that has two stops including one in charlotte that gets back into dfw at one o'clock in the morning i was like oh this is just lovely we're gonna have to cancel the podcast like do it monday or whatever i was texting you then i get lucky and i get jumped on a. I, I basically just refresh the page where the other rebooking options and all of a sudden there were no options left today other than that one that got back at midnight all of a sudden Another one at 3:35 popped up because someone had canceled their ticket, so I grabbed that immediately. Long story short, I'm really lucky, but I'm watching this game in the airport in a bar, and then also watching pieces of it on my phone while I'm waiting to board, and then on my phone while I'm uh, in the plane, and then bought the Wi-Fi, the, the sham $15 Wi-Fi to watch the game in the air, which worked okay for the most part. Point being, I'm not as locked in as I like wanted to be, but I caught a decent bit of it. And the one inning I sat down for and got uninterrupted for was the ten run third, which was <laughs> pretty sweet. That that helped a lot. That was the most of what I caught in the airport while waiting. So, so anyways, you I don't know that. why I told that story just to set up some complaints later. But uh, it was a difficult day from a viewing standpoint. But uh, <laughs> he gives up the two and then the ten spot in the third. I mean, at that point, when they get when they scored ten runs, did you think that game was over? Because I didn't.
1: Uh, yeah, I actually did. I'll be honest. I, I just and here's why i thought i thought the game plan was uh five innings from mcdaniel Kimbrell, and miller two innings from doherty two from broadway well at that point you're up 10 to two you're six innings from bringing in doherty and broadway and i didn't think there was much prayer those guys were gonna, you know blow the game um turns out that uh getting those six outs from miller mcdaniel and uh, and uh Kimbrell were not as easy as i expected um I But I, I will tell you, this is why I thought Ole Miss was going to win the game. I, I did not think they'd stop scoring. Um, and to their credit, they didn't. I, I just kind of thought once they got that lead and you have Broadway that you probably could go to for two innings, and Doherty obviously is not going to have a problem going two innings, I kind of just thought that they would be able to or, or piece it together um to those guys and and to their credit they did obviously some tense moments there at the end and you know when they hit the grand slam to get it get it back within three but uh yeah i'll be honest i did when they when they went up 10 to 2 i kind of thought i didn't say i'm not gonna say over but i did kind of think yeah this almost is going to win this game I'll, i'll be honest there
0: Okay, fair enough. I just I, – I knew I – mean, maybe it's just I'm, I'm warped from having Ole Miss and Vanderbilt having a couple crazy finishes on Sundays. night sure. 2019 SEC tournament. That has nothing to do with this, but you just kind of get my mindset. Sure. I just knew they were going to climb back in it a little bit, particularly if Ole Miss didn't add on. Like, I was like, you know, all they got to do is score, what, I guess that was, you know, three runs to make it 10-5, and then you're really within arm's length. Like, point being, I didn't necessarily think it was over – but what a response! Like you mentioned, after McDaniel gets him off the field and there's no more damage after the two runs, I knew Vanderbilt's bullpen was shaky, and I knew that kid was not really going to give them an advantage. was it, Riley uh, yeah. that started for yeah. them. I knew it right. wasn't going to give them much an advantage. Uh, I did not have the Rebels putting up a ten spot in one inning um, on my <laughs> predictions for today. But uh, I don't know when. When you just thought, when you look at this offense and we talk about it being a lead and it, it really stressing pitchers um and and really taxing guys and making them earn everything they get isn't this the tape you send to if you're sending it to some committee to judge how good your offense is aren't you throwing (laughs) in that tape i mean that ending yeah kind of a clinic
1: they can they can get to you so quickly um and and look i get it with with kale baker just talking about that and like yeah he struggled some people do need to understand like he scares folks like just looking at him and and You can't throw dude a fastball down the middle or he'll crush it. And that's – I don't know. Baker's not the worst nine-hole hitter in the world. Um, So, you know, look, this offense is deep, man. its You can't really breathe with this team because, you know, you talk about Baker, you talk about Van Cleve, maybe not having the years you want. But, you know, too, like, hey, if I don't pitch these guys well, I have a freaking problem behind them. Like, T.J. McCants is an issue. If I don't pitch Peyton Chatnier well and he gets on, Jacob Gonzalez is an issue. Kevin Graham and Hayden Dunhurst are issues. Like, I, yeah, th- this offense is relentless. Um, and, and, frankly, they don't give away at-bats very often.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And when you talk about it, it hitting you in a hurry – uh, that's actually, maybe that was the point of me telling my travel stories. What was funny was I was texting a buddy of mine who listened to this show and I'm watching the inning and I think it got to, it was four to two and the airport Wi-Fi cut out for a second. And so I was like, damn it, damn it. Like refresh, refresh, refresh. And by the time I had gotten the page back up, it was already eight to two. So I, missed, I missed Baker's home run live. They were showing a replay when I got it back on. But that shows you how quickly it can escalate, right? Because it goes forward to, and you're like, all right, awesome. old Miss responds. They have the lead. Can they hold on to this, right? And then sure. it's a fast ball, and then a dinger over the fence, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, now this is a, now this is a blowout. Like, and it it yep. happened like that. I think that was a good example of how quickly they can get to you. Uh, your point about Kel Baker is also dead on. I, I'm having trouble pulling up his numbers and getting that to load right now. But his numbers – are not as bad as for the amount of hate he gets. People get frustrated because of how many, how often he strikes out. And so to kind of like your casual baseball fan that's maybe, uh, you know, watching Ole Miss every weekend, but maybe not necessarily like, I don't know, completely locked in, you see him swing and miss a lot. And that's probably where the comes from. But, I mean, he's two fifty, three 370, nothing to complete right home about. With no. Three home runs and 22 RBIs in – 35 games, and that's your nine-hole hitter.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're not asking him to be great. You just need to be serviceable, and um, he has been. And, you know, he hits the home run today. And I'm just telling you, it's not a comfortable at bat when you see that big of a guy, and you know he can hit the ball a long ways in the nine-hole. You have to pitch. I, I-, I just know this from a pitcher's mindset. When you look at that guy, you don't think, oh, I've got this guy in the bag because you know if I screw up, he's going to hit this in the student section. Um, it's not a comfortable at bat for a guy that you would think is normally in the non home.
0: They haven't updated the stats yet. I don't think because that today, there's no way that was Cale Baker's first sec home run.
1: It was, it absolutely was. That is. Yeah, that was, that's actually correct.
0: No, it's it, no, it's, it's a second. He had one in Starkville. Because, I do not
1: recall one in so
0: he, I know he had another one, and the reason I know this isn't updated yet because they say Kevin Graham, Dunhurst, Bench, Gonzalez have only started 26 SEC games. Okay. Well, so, it may
1: not be updated, but I – well, okay. I, I, just, I don't recall another. You can click on Baker's name. It'll tell you when he hit a home run.
0: Kale Baker. That's the part I was having to come up. This is great podcasting. Be that as it is. Yeah, name. if you go to the – yeah. The player page, when it goes to statistics, that's the part I can't get to load, um, which I think is my uh, computer issue. got to start, stop visiting these questionable websites. Um, but anyway, be that as it may, it'll pull up in a second. He, for your nine hole guy, he is plenty serviceable. And to your point, when you have your nine-hole hitter that that's that big of a threat to, to hit the ball over the fence. That's a, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good threat to have down there in terms of that, if that's your last guy you're bringing to the plate in the lineup. But, uh, so anyway, we got a little bit derailed there. Ten runs in the third inning, and then yep. obviously they needed every one of them, and the fact that they kept adding on was late, huge. I uh, We kind of skipped this over, but let's just turn this into the uh, old Miss freshman corner. I, I don't really <laughs> have – I'm running out of ways to to articulate how insane Jacob Gonzalez and T.J. McCants' true freshman seasons are. So I'll just let you try first. Um.
1: Yeah, you know, you talk about a guy in T.J. that – you know, I'll talk about him first because he let off. Um, what was the knock on him two weeks ago? He was playing a bad center field, not a great defender. Now all of a sudden the, the kid's turned himself a pretty damn good center fielder. Um, and and now he's continuing to hit. Man, everything that dude hits is hard. And then, you know, he plays at a level where, hey, on Friday night, he lays down a bunt after the home run to beat the shift. Um, it's not something a freshman normally does after he hits a home run. He usually kind of wants to hit another one. Um, yeah, the, the kids are special, man. I mean, Gonzalez is – is Gonzalez has, frankly, the most competitive at-bats from a consistency standpoint on the team. Um, just awesome. Just it, And you don't get that in freshmen. And, and frankly, it's kind of scary to think about because, let's be real, now these guys have played long enough that if there's a scouting report out on them, it's out by now. And they've adjusted or people – there's just not many holes in their swing and these dudes are going to terrorize this league for two more years. Um, they, 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 those guys are – look, I mean, we, we talk about it, and, and for good reason, how good Tyler Keenan was, was as a freshman, and these guys are both pretty clearly better.
0: TJ McCants is in SEC play, 366 with 1,026 OPS. Absurd. <laughs> so, Absolute absurd. So, Gonzalez had a really good opening weekend – uh, not, I'm not talking about SEC play anymore. Opening sure. weekend against, uh, out in Texas, it, particularly from a defensive standpoint, he hits the home run. And there are a lot of national people at that series covering that game. So, like, his name, and he was a highly rated recruit. And Not, not that McCants wasn't necessarily a highly rated recruit, but you, you, there was a lot of more buzz with Jacob Gonzalez's arrival at Ole Miss than T.J. McCants. Gonzalez doing the shortstop thing as a freshman – you don't hear TJ – and he'll end up getting all these accolades because of the people who actually vote on them, know. But in terms, of like, projections for All-STC, All-Freshman, Freshman All-America, All-American, is it just me or do you not see his name a lot, which is just an atrocity? Like, it, is it possible that he's doing this quietly, I guess, is what I'm asking? He
1: should, he should win – yeah, it's possible, but he should win SEC Freshman of the Year. Unless I'm missing somebody, and I guess that's possible, but he should win SEC Freshman of the Year.
0: I was about to say, Uh, I mean, I know Vanderbilt's got a couple, but nothing like that. Hell, there's there's not many people, period, non-president doing what he's doing in SEC. Well,
1: Morgan at LSU is the only other guy that you can talk about, really. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, and you're asking – when you consider the fact that he's hitting this well, playing a position he's never played before in his life and has now turned himself into a pretty freaking good center fielder – yeah, it's possible people are real quiet on him, but I'm telling you, just from watching this kid play, as a superstar, he is arguably one of the. I, I don't think it's arguable, actually. He he's the best freshman that Ole Miss has ever had. He's putting uh, I don't,
0: together the best freshman season outside of maybe
1: Head. I'll, I'll get. I'll concede Head, but other than that, I, it's it's second best.
0: And then Jacob Gonzalez, just to add on to this freshman point. Yeah. Uh, just a measly 302 with three home runs, twenty RBIs, and that looks like a eight something OPS. But I'm I'm not smart enough to do that. An way. SEC play? Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that'll play as well. I say all that to say though, and we'll get back to the Sunday game in a second. You know, you talk about this offense being elite. If those kids are hitting like freshmen, this offense is pretty good, but yeah. it's not elite. The don't re- make they'll make no mistake about it. Look, all those other guys are good. Dunhurst um L- leatherwood i mean bench i i, I get it but the, the reason this offense is elite is because of those two those two guys are driving that
1: yep absolutely agree and 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 what is so impressive to me at least is like every time man they just put quality at bats together yeah tj strikes out probably a little too much but i don't care he hits for so much power it doesn't matter but I'll tell you what TJ looks to me like. And, and it was only a 20-game sample, so it's hard to say this. He looks like, to me, as a hitter, what Anthony Servidio looked like last year.
0: I think that's a good comp. In what way?
1: Like, just the, the, the sneaky power that you think. Uh, you, don't, you didn't think Servidio could hit balls as far as he did last year. Um, his ability that, to go the opposite field has, has improved over the year. Uh, obviously, the speed. Um, I just it just kind of looks like he's he's kind of a, a, a what Servideo left at and the thing is like he's got two more years to get better so Godspeed everyone.
0: Yeah, and I didn't have that uh, Gonzalez stat updated because uh, Sim <laughs> got put in that. That's actually five home runs and twenty four RBI in SEC play, which uh, so both those freshmen have hit five long balls in SEC play. Pretty remarkable stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I think that Servideo comp is a good one. I, I think that's it is sneaky power. Now you know it, though, right? The first couple times, because I think I made that point on this podcast, he hit that big, long home run against State, and I was like, that kid hits balls a long way, and it's, it's not <laughs> sneaky anymore, right? Like, to feel people that watch every day, but you're exactly right in that sense. So, Ole Miss puts up the 10 spot. Uh, McDaniel gets them through what? He goes three and two thirds. He, he
1: only gets two outs after that. But I'm going to say something before we talk about McDaniel. He had to sit in that dugout for 40 minutes.
0: He did. It was hard to do. It it that's something you gotta master as well, because that's hard to do to sit in there that long. Um, particularly when, you know, you're a freshman, and you haven't done that a ton too. Sure.
1: Sure. And, and obviously you'll take the 10 runs, but I'm telling you that that's not an easy thing to do is, is go in there and sit for 40 minutes. You're talking about a review talking about two pitching changes i believe i mean it's it's not an easy thing to do what he what he did and then have to come back out and obviously he comes back out and is probably not very good but you know um I, I don't think that i thought mcdaniel's first three innings he was actually pretty good
0: i thought he was too he was kind of rolling through it and he mitigates the damage in the in the third or whatever that other yeah i guess that was te- was that the, yeah the third because Omis answered immediately with the 10 spot right so what, 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 what was concerning the alarming part about today I thought was Ole Miss. So Vanderbilt scores a run. So they go fly out, double, fly out. Mm. So it's ten to two with the guy on base and two down. And in the next, by the time Ole Miss got back to the dugout, it was ten to seven. Yeah, the, the inability to get off the field with two outs is tough. And look, it goes single, single, walk. Load the bases, and then Austin Miller gives up the grand slam. So, like, it happens fast, but that, like, Miller was one, Miller wasn't very good. Uh, Two, McDaniel had too many people on base, but, like, man, can you get that? Can you get off the field at 10 4 there? I guess is my point. Yeah.
1: Right. And, you know, obviously it skips from 10 3 to 10 7 because of Carter Young's ball goes 30 feet shorter. I mean, you get off the field at 10 3. But, yeah, I mean, look, that's unfortunate. Um, But I don't know. It's, I, I just kind of – it kind of felt like one of those days that was always slated to be a little bit offensive, just kind of considering what each team had left from a pitching standpoint. The ball was really flying today. I can tell you that. The the wind was really helping the balls. I mean, uh, you know, Kale Baker's ball really got held by the wind today. Um, but, you know, it's – yes, obviously you'd love to get off the field with two outs there. Uh, Drew's not able to get it done. And, look, Austin Miller kind of just is what he is if he leaves a fastball over the plate at 87 miles an hour, it's a really good chance to crush it and, and give credit to Corey Young. They did.
0: Yeah, so what do you, what do you make of – I mean, McDaniel it was what it was. I, he may have been left in slightly too long. right? Like when you go – I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. It was 10-3 and it was single-single. So, maybe, maybe – No, was, I,
1: would, I would have pulled him exactly when Mike did.
0: Okay, fair enough. I, I, I was about to say, I can't retract that. Because the way it, it added up, because the one swing, it wasn't actually that bad. So, but what do you make of Miller? Because, you know, one of the guys I – mean, I wrote it in – we talked about on Thursday's podcast. I wrote it in Friday's newsletter. Some of, one of the group of Myers, Kimbrell, I think I put Forsyth in there, and Miller. Like, Mike's going to have to trust one of them a hell of a lot more than he's done to this point in the season. I guess what I'm asking is, do you, do you give up on Austin Miller? Because it hasn't been no. seen lately, but I don't think you can. I don't give
1: up on him, but he's not the guy. I mean, I, I don't go to him before I go to Myers, and I don't go to him before I go to Kimbrell at this point. Um, so, no, do I give up on him? No, but I, I just kind of think that there's there's kind of people ahead of him that I go to in, in big-time situations, too.
0: And it's really tough to pitch against elite SEC. <laughs> yes. Basketball velocity is what it is. Because sure. talk about, like, leaving yourself more vulnerable when you make a mistake. That's uh, – a, I mean, that that's kind of – I mean, you throw someone 87, eighty seven, eighty eight, like you said, and they're sitting fastball. That you don't place that bad boy right. That's a that's probably not going to end very well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, he wasn't good, but obviously, you know, we'll get into this. Jackson, Jackson Kimball kind of kind of saved the day, honestly, because he mitigates, you know, what was going to have to be pretty much perfection from. Doherty and Broadway. I mean, it was going to be two innings, two innings, and, and he kind of just overwhelms Vanderbilt for three and a third or whatever it was, and and gets you kind of to the point where you don't need much out of Doherty and you knew Broadway would shut the door when he came in.
0: That was the biggest revelation of today by far, right? And to be completely honest, you texted me that at the time, and that was one of the times where I was trying to get the damn Wi Fi back going. Ole Miss was fortunate a little bit to get it out at 10 7 because that ball that Kimberl threw that got the Nolan line out was, uh, that wasn't a uh, can of corn, to put it that way.
1: <laughs> no, it was not.
0: Um, so they get they were a little bit even after that bad ending, were, were a little bit fortunate to get out there at 10 7. And then obviously, like you said, the story of the day was Jackson Kimbrell and what a revelation he was, because that's a guy that had struggled at times this year, particularly in SEC play. And is Ole Miss's only left hander in that bullpen. So having him contribute down the stretch is huge from a matchup standpoint. But uh he was really, really good today. And I just initial thoughts on what do you think the difference was between this version of him and the one that struggled?
1: Oh, that, that's easy. through strikes. Jackson Kimbrell's stuff has never walk. been. It's yeah, it's never been the question. Uh, if he's in the zone, he's able to compete. And, and frankly, I'll, I'll say this: I think Jackson Kimbrell got a little more confident as he went on because you're right. The the ball that was hit. Uh, to Graham was 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 smoked, but he comes in the next few innings and he strikes some guys out and he's able to mitigate and, and give up really soft contact. Um, if Jackson Kimbrell is in the zone, he's pretty good. It's just always been, hey, he gets behind in counts. That's what happened against LSU. He got behind in counts. Oh, look, he gave up a Grand Slam, game's over. Um, or three-run home or whatever it was. And I just kind of think that's it. If if Jackson Kimball can find his way into the strike zone, and frankly, when you talk about a bullpen that has problematic issues, I'd rather have that problem than the guy that does throw strikes and gets the crap beat out of him because maybe I can just figure out how to make this guy throw strikes. Um, Because if I got a guy that's throwing strikes and just getting the crap kicked out of him, well, there's not a hell of a lot I can do to fix that. I mean, it just is what it is at that point. Um, But, you know, I, I think Kimball's a guy that, you know, hey, it, look, if he's in the zone, he's pretty good. And I kind of just think you give him the opportunity every weekend now to figure out if he's going to be in the zone or not.
0: Absolutely. Because, like we mentioned and we keep saying over and over again, not a whole lot of other options left. And it gets to 10-7, and the fact that Ole Miss added on – I mean, Jacob Gonzalez hits two massive home runs today. But the fact that they got that bad boy to 12-7 and then eventually I guess that was 13, I think that helped him as well because, I mean, a three-run lead and a five-run leaded correct me if I'm wrong here, that, I don't know if I was standing on a pitcher's mound, that would feel like a world of difference. One swing chip away and add on. I thought was huge. Sure.
1: There's no, like if you're on the mound, nobody can hit a five run Homer. Somebody can hit a three run Homer. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a massive difference that, you know, Ole Miss goes on to add those runs The the Gonzo home run, the the Dunhurst home run, uh, which we probably need to get into in a second. Um, (laughs) But Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss adding those runs on was huge. They didn't, you know, just get content with the 10-run inning and were able to add on. And, uh, you know, so that's what good offense does. That's why when you asked, you know, did I think Ole Miss was going to win when it got to 10-2, my answer was yeah, because I just didn't think they were going to stop scoring. And and to their credit, they did.
0: Yeah, and it it happens immediately after the five-spot, right? Like, you thought Ole Miss was probably going to put that thing away at 10-2. Vanderbilt puts up the five-spot 10-7. Gonzalez hit a huge Two-out single that scored T.J. McCants to get one back and make it 11-7. The Dunhurst home run, and then Gonzalez had one late for uh, he had two home runs and an RBI single today. That uh, that seems pretty good. But yeah. them adding it back immediately after that, and then them pushing it to where it's 12-7 going into the eighth inning. And at that point, at the five-run lead, you're trying to figure out a way to get six outs you probably are breathing a lot easier watching at home than had that bad boy been like, I don't know, ten eight something like yeah. that. Like, yeah. Because video. then
1: you're asking for six outs from Broadway. And while I have confidence he can get it done, it's like, you know,
0: that's a different deal. Than, second time on a week. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And so Ole Miss adds on Kimbrel was huge. Um, I'll be interested to see what Kimbrel kind of evolves into going forward because we talk about a lack of a, a bullpen option in guys they trust. If, if, if the guy that they do trust throws with their left hand, that's one hell of an advantage.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, that was big for Ole Miss and, and big for Jackson Kimbrell, because like I said, the stuff's never been the question. So um, hopefully, he's <clears throat> hopefully he's found something and is able to stay in the strike zone. But, you know, there's been outings like this all the time, right? Like Austin Miller has the outing against a and It's like, oh, maybe he's found something. And, you know, West Burton has the outing against uh, LSU. It's like, oh, well, maybe he's found something. Uh, You know, and it's just kind of been (laughs) – it's just kind of been like that, you know, some guys get have good outings, but they can't replicate it. I kind of think I'd give Jackson Kimball another one and see what he does, and, you know, hopefully it's something that sticks. But if I'm Ole Miss going forward with this bullpen, I swear I'd just send guys out there like Austin Miller and Jackson Kimball and jo- not Josh Mallett, um Tyler Myers, and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. Cody Adcock and Brandon Johnson, and just say, hey, look, maybe I can find one of you to throw well on the weekend. Like, I would have a revolving door, and maybe one of them just has a good day.
0: So let's just go ahead and do that now. I was gonna pitch an idea to you. If Ole Miss goes and wins two or three, and this will be part of our wrap-up conversation as well. Basically what I'm saying, if Ole Miss goes into next weekend and they get to 18 wins and they're a lock as a host, if you get by the Tuesday game in Hoover, do you use Hoover as exactly what you just imagined? Like if you get by and you're in a position where you're host and maybe you can't, maybe you're trying to get your way to a national seed. I'm not saying that Hoover's completely worthless, but you're not playing for you know, Homer road lives in Hoover is what I'm talking about. Like there sure. will be some version of June play, uh, post-season baseball in Oxford. Do you kind of use Hoover as that if you get past yeah. the elimination game? I Yeah, I, but I, I, I will say this. I do
1: it – I try to get through Wednesday with a win, and then I try to do it. Uh, because if I can get through Wednesday with a win, I'm guaranteed three games. Uh, well, I'm guaranteed at least two more. Um, I, I, I try everything in my power to win on Tuesday and Wednesday, but after that, absolutely, uh, because I have two games and I don't really have a pl- plethora of starters left. Um, so, yes, if I can get by Tuesday and Wednesday with wins and get into the winner's bracket on Thursday, uh, I may start Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond, but I absolutely see what I've got in a guy like Brandon Johnson or Cody Adcock, and obviously if Jackson Kimball is not thrown Um, maybe Braden Forsythe. Yeah. I, you know, it was interesting today. Um, and I'm sure you don't know this, but you know, Broadway was throwing and Braden Forsythe was getting loose, um, just in case something happened. So they still have some modicum of trust in Braden Forsythe, I guess. I just, I, I, yes, to answer your question, I try to get through Tuesday and Wednesday with wins. And if I can do that, I try to see what I can find out of somebody else.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's interesting, particularly if this, this goes the way we think it's going to for this team next weekend. We talked about the devaluation of Hoover because of the predetermined host sites and kind of how that story has evolved to where it's not necessarily true. So, But be that as it may, like Hoover could be a really interesting week to learn about this team and it not necessarily be as concrete as win this game and you no. go to this threshold. Like you could learn a lot about the team, uh, you know, win or loss, like whatever the result well. is. And now now
1: here's where you got to be careful with Hoover, right? Because you've been over there. You can pitch really poorly in Hoover and get outs. Like you can throw a lot of 385 foot fly balls, right?
0: Gunnar Hogan did that against Arkansas in 2019 and he went six innings and everyone was like, he's back. And I was like, Well, I don't know about that, but yes. <laughs> like the ball with that, that's out doing. of Swayze. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a it's a big ballpark. That's a good point. So anyway, almost adds them on, closes this game out. What would you think of – hold on,
1: hold on. What would you think of Maldonado throwing over Ben Van Cleve's head?
0: Yeah, so I was getting – no, I had that down. I was uh, – I don't know. We're going to get that. So, Hayden Dunhurst hits the home run in the sixth. I'll put it to you this way. So, at that point, again, this is why I let everyone know about the travel issues. I'm watching on a cell phone in in a seat of an airplane. So, you know, when you're watching – Were
1: were you the only person on this plane watching that game?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, at least to my knowledge, yes. <laughs> I so,
1: was uh, from Memphis. I just wondered if maybe there was another Rebel on the plane.
0: There might be someone else. There was people with Ole Miss stuff on, so maybe I'm naïve. I'm, I'm okay. probably not the only one getting pissed off at the Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> so I'm watching it. You know sometimes when you're watching on your phone or whatever, it can kind of go in and out in terms of picture quality? Right, yeah. yeah. Well, they they hit that – They Gunners hits the ball and it pans to the wide view as the ball is just kind of sailing in the sky and you can see – home plate in the background you asked me if he quote pimped it the home run and i told you i'll put it to you this way this my screen was a little blurry and when they went to the pan view i just because i couldn't see the ball itself because my screen was blurry i just assumed it was foul because of how long he was standing. he hadn't moved anywhere he he had not moved out of the batter's box by that time that ball went over the fence so i just assumed it was foul and then i see the students start throwing their beer and i'm like Oh, that ball went somewhere in fair play, like over the fence. Like it wasn't fouled. So He admired his work. Uh, that would give Greg Kessinger's 2019 home run uh, in the super off Elijah Trest in that Saturday win, a run for its money, or Sunday win, whatever it was, because I think it was a Monday finish. Yeah, yeah. That would give that a run for its money. Afterward, it was a little unclear, because, again, I'm battling crappy picture issues. I saw the pitch over his head. Was that – because that kid was losing command a little bit. Do you think that was intentional? Yes.
1: Yes. Okay. 1,000%. Okay,
0: so that's – if it was, that's even kind of more, quote, unquote, I guess, Bush League because if you're mad and you want to throw at a guy – I mean, even though – and I think this is stupid. I'm not dignifying the, the idea of throwing a fastball at someone and hitting them with it, it being a remotely uh you know, justified thing to do. But normally when you do that, you try to hit him in the back of the backside. throwing at someone's head. Like, what are you doing? Guy would walk five guys all year. Oh, had, okay, had, that's a nice nugget to know. Yeah, no control
1: issues. He threw at Ben Van Cleef's head, and thank God he missed.
0: Um, I'll just say this.
1: If uh if I'm gonna throw at somebody on Ole Miss's team, it's not the big guy from Indianola Academy. Like that, that's not the guy I pick on. And you know, I, I don't want to make more out of this than what it was. But I do think there was an element of – look, Nick Maldonado was on the mound and he hadn't been hit all year. Um, and Ole Miss was torching him. This guy came into the game with a 0. like 6, seven ERA in SEC – or a .67 ERA and like 0. .9 in uh, SEC play. Um, and, and their ace had kind of gotten hit around a little bit enough to win on Friday night, and that ain't supposed to happen. And then on Sunday, you know, Nick Maldonado's not supposed to get hit and then he gets hit. I, I think there was – look, Dunhurst's home run and him staring it down, which I thought was beautiful, maybe sent him over the edge. But I don't think that ball was thrown at Ben Van Cleve because of what Hayden Dunhurst did. I think that ball was thrown at Ben Van Cleve because Vanderbilt didn't think this was supposed to happen and they weren't having their way.
0: I don't hate that theory. That makes sense because the Dunhurst thing, <laughs> he admired his work. But, I mean, we we are both proponents of – if you don't want people doing that, maybe don't let the guy hit the ball to the moon, right? Like, I mean, we're pretty firmly in that camp. But that's an interesting way to think about it that I hadn't thought about it. Um, but I actually, I thought, because by the time I kind of got my picture situation back settled down, I saw Mike come out of the dugout. You know, Tim came out of the dugout a little bit. I actually thought it was de-escalated fairly well because that really could have turned into something, and it settled well, down really quickly. Let me
1: tell you now. And I, I barely caught this, but uh, Austin Miller was ready to have a few words. He uh, he came out that dugout. I'm pretty sure it was Miller. It was a really tall human being. And I don't think it was West Burton because I didn't see high socks. But uh pretty sure it was Austin Miller. My man was ready to have a few words with Nick Maldonado if he wanted to. Uh, but in saying that, uh, people were like, you know, I, if I'm Mike, I get kind of upset there because, you know, you're throwing at my guy's head. And my thought process was, okay, If Mike gets upset there, here's what's going to happen. His team is going to think they have to go retaliate or do something out of the ordinary. It's like, man, Ole Miss is up 12-7 to at this point. If he just cools it and doesn't freak out, Ole Miss is going to win this baseball game. And I I do give Mike some credit there. I think that went into his mind of, hey, I'm not going to freak out because if I do and I get my guys riled up, we can do something stupid and let them get back into this baseball game. Whereas if I can just stay composed – we're going to be okay and win the baseball game. And, and to Ole Miss's credit, uh, they did do something stupid. They, they didn't throw at anybody. Um, and I, I said this on Twitter, you can't because that's a three-game suspension if you get one. And Ole Miss, God knows they can't afford to have somebody get suspended three games. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of think that went into Mike's thought process of, hey, I'm not going to get freaked out because if my guys get freaked out, we might be in trouble.
0: Yep, that's a great point. Um... Like I I I don't have much to add there because I agree they they're the last team in the country that needs to be without a bullpen arm for three games because that would really put them in a pinch. So <laughs> anyway, I uh <laughs> I made some snarky ass tweet about it. Oh, uh, no, go ahead, please
1: please present
0: because not everyone has Twitter. <laughs> it is true. I just said surely Ben that was, season, great. was just asking about and not at which piece of the eleven point seven room and board or books he is getting this semester. <laughs> Sure, that's what he was asking him. are you getting room and board? Because I got books this semester. <laughs> 11.7 prevails. So, Ole Miss closed the game out. Broadway comes back. He's really good again. Huge, huge series win. You know, it, it does help Ole Miss from a hosting standpoint. And, we'll, we can get into that. But my main takeaway from this, this has to be a tremendous confidence boost yeah. for this group. Because all Ole Miss had to its name, really, if you want to put it down in simple terms, is a good weekend in Texas, couple sweeps against bad teams and a sweep against an average team. This was toe-to-toe and played a really clean baseball game on Friday and then outslugged an elite-level club and an elite-level offense on Sunday. I imagine – and maybe – I'm not saying they didn't believe this already, but now they have tangible evidence of we can beat anyone in this country in a two-three-game series because yeah. – I know they left the Arkansas series thinking the one that got away, they were not running off the field in that series. But when you finally see the results, they know they can beat anyone in the country. And it happened without Gunnar Hoekland.
1: Yeah. um, You're 0-5 in rubber matches. At some point, that becomes a problem. And now, it's kind of like I said after the LSU series, when they hit the walk-off on run. It's like, hey, what what, what did you guys do last week? And it's like, oh, well, we beat LSU on Saturday with Camp Alderman's walk-off. It's like, Nobody remembers the five rubber matches you lost now if you're on that baseball team. You remember the one that you just beat the number two team in the country to win the series by. I thought that was big because, frankly, I'm not shocked if in three weeks Ole Miss has to win a game three to go to the College World Series. Um, Frankly, at this point, look, this, this team can go a lot of different directions. I will say this. I will be pretty surprised if this team's not in the Super Regional, and you need to have had at least won a game three to have that, you know, in your back pocket and know what that feels like uh, if you get into that
0: situation. And we don't have to talk about this today. It's a long way down the road, but if they were in that situation, talk about the – no, I I think your comment was well stated. I was about to take it a step further just for a second. I was saying we don't have to get into this today. But, man, if that is the case and that happens – talk about a narrative shift on uh, number five in the dugout it's because sure. wizardry coaching job night and day from kind of you know what people thought of the guy leaving the field at Texas A&M was, well, you know, you know it's I mean? it's such a it's
1: such a weird uh situation with Mike because when I look at this team and I say oh they're 16 and 11 and they lost their best hitter and they lost their best pitcher in totality I think Mike's done a pretty good job from a, from a development, from an offensive standpoint. And a lot of that credit goes to Mike Clement. Let's be clear on that. A lot of that goes to Clem. Um, but you know, you, you talk about this team and Mike's look, Mike's the guy that gets the winner lost by his name and 1611 with all they've gone through is pretty good. But you just look back here like, man, if he doesn't screw this up, we're talking about an 18 and nine baseball team. Um, you know, so, it's, it's a weird thing to do. It's like, I could argue, honest to God, I could argue that Mike Bianco this year has underachieved and overachieved and have no problem making both arguments.
0: Yeah, you're right. So it's overall in terms of what he's kind of dealt uh, helped the guys, you know, get through and overcome from an injury standpoint, it's been a pretty good job, but it's been overshadowed by two of maybe his most five all-time egregious managerial blunders is probably the yeah. best way to put it. Right. Yeah. Like for the most part he's done pretty good, but man, the A and M and the Mississippi State oh. were so egregiously bad it just it, it I mean when you're the talking point of why your team lost a game twice in the heat of an SEC West race in the race to be a national seed, that uh that can overshadow a lot of good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, no bunts this weekend. Not one, not any. Well, there was a bunt. I take that back. TJ had a bunt. No he, sacrifice did to but.
0: Shift, and he did it shift, it did not involve taking the bat out of your best hitter's uh, hand statistically in SEC play while simultaneously bunt, uh, bunting your left-handed pitch hit option. Or excuse me, your pitch hit option against left-handed pitching is my, uh, what I meant to say. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no sacrifice. For no bunts, no uh, – I'll tell you what, though. If that bad boy had gotten to 10-9, to he might have just gone out in the dugout in between innings and had someone bunt just to calm his nerves. Didn't even have to count for the game. He might have gotten one of the managers out there. He's like, can you lay one down in front of me? I'm getting nervous. Uh,
1: oh, God.
0: Anyway, let's Uh, last encompassing thought, then we'll get to the questions and get out of here for that we have from the people. Uh, wait, I'll just leave the floor to you. What does this do to Ole Miss for their hopes for a national um, seed and a host?
1: All right. So uh, it, it's hard to discuss that, right, without discussing uh, who you're competing against, because at this point, uh, Arkansas uh, wins two or three at Tennessee. Tennessee and Arkansas pretty much locked up national seeds. I think Vanderbilt has two. If you had told me this weekend was going to play out without this nugget of information, um, I would have said, well, Ole Miss is going to be on the outside look again. But somehow in God's green earth, Missouri won two of three at Duty Noble this weekend. Don't ask me how that happened. Um, I got no clue. So now you're talking about a situation where it's Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Florida, I think, for one national seat. Ole Miss's resume is not that bad compared to Mississippi State. Yes, State has one game in conference play on them, and yes, Mississippi State beat them two of three. And I'm going to get tired of this conversation uh, next week if this everything goes to fruition. Uh, head-to-head is not a metric that they use unless everything is tied. Um, so let's, let's discuss that. Ole Miss, Florida, and, and Mississippi State. I think if Ole Miss wins two, Next weekend, they're going to go to Hoover with a really good shot and a real chance to go do some damage uh, and get themselves a national seed. I, I think it takes two, though. I do not see uh, this team being able to be one with only one win next weekend. But um, if you win two, man, you, you go over to Hoover with a real chance to do some real damage and become one. Um, and we've seen teams go, go get national seeds and go get host spots in Hoover before, so I wouldn't put it past them.
0: I mean, hell, you've seen a lot of Mike Bianco teams do it.
1: See, that's uh, who i was referring to, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I thought you just meant in general. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there's <laughs> there've been a lot of Mike Bianco teams that have found something at Hoover and really changed the outlook of their season. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good summation summary of kind of how this this works out. And, you know, what's crazy is, is the way this season has gone in the adversity they had dealt with from an injury standpoint and then a couple of managerial blunders along with the top heaviness of the SEC. I feel like Ole Miss was written off from a national seed standpoint because of how it looked before that. That just kind of shows you how funny this sport can be sometimes. To one week, it changes everything. Because, you know, getting to this weekend changed absolutely everything for this team in terms of that national seed conversation. They were always still pretty good on the hosting. Any idea that they were not going to be one of the 20 sites or firmly a host? That idea was out there. Even entering this weekend is just silly given their metrics. It just was not based in any sort of logic or fact if you look at the metrics. And you know what? Shockingly, they were named one of the 20, and they're probably playing June baseball in Oxford. It's just a matter of if it's one weekend or two.
1: Yeah. um, It doesn't help that – and I'll call it a narrative. It doesn't help Ole Miss's sake when one week you have – you're the number 10 projected national seed. The next week you're a two seed, and then this week you're going to be a, the eleven seed because you won two games. Like that—that that doesn't make rational sense. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. Look, that people made up this stat that was series wins or whatever, and it's like, man, that's not a thing people gauge by because you shouldn't be gay. Like going three and zero oh in a series shouldn't count as the same as going two and one in one. Like, that makes, no, that makes no logical sense. Well, it's not um, the
0: same thing if you do that. If you crunch the numbers, three is more than two. Yeah.
1: It's like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, why can't uh, a sweep be 1.5 series wins? Because last time I checked, like you said, uh, three greater than two. Um, and, and we we have decided that this, you know, series wins bull crap was an actual stat. Um, and, and that was going to make Ole Miss a two seed, and it turns out, What it turned out last week when they announced regional hosts is, uh, hey, shockingly, uh, this is going to shock you, RPI mattered because they didn't let Louisville host. They didn't let Georgia Tech host. They didn't let Florida State host because guess what? Their RPIs sucked. And I'm telling you now, the NCAA selection committee, as much as it's going to piss people off because some RPIs aren't correct because of COVID and schedules and whatnot, is going to use the freaking RPI come selection time.
0: Yep. Yep. Completely agree. This team has everything in front of it, and you know I think the best way to maybe put a final bow on this weekend, aside from what we talk about with the questions, is I think this team consciously wanted to make a statement that they're not necessarily done yet. Like you know, count them out if right. you want to, because they lost their first round pick and kind of their glue on the mound. I, you know, Doug is a glue. That's probably not the right way to put it. You lost your host on Friday nights after losing your best hitter from a everyday capacity. Um, I think they kind of wanted to make a statement that they're not done yet, and they certainly were because I mean, I thought this quote between Mike, I've never heard Mike say something like this. Mike hates it. I'll give you a little uh, access to his headspace. Mike's not a big fan of comparisons to past teams. Like, if, for example, because I've made this mistake in the past, if I had asked him, um, Have you ever had a better freshman than TJ McCann? he doesn't like that question. Um, he, he doesn't like going back. He doesn't like comparing stuff to his former team. So I say all of that to say I want to pull this up and make sure I have the question right. This is via the Rebel Walk, I guess. I just make sure I get the out and out. Some people are into crediting people for stuff. Some people aren't. Uh, I'll get into that today. Uh, let's see. I don't – Mike Bianca said, I am not sure if I've ever been more proud of a team. We have a lot of games in front of us, but how resilient and relentless they continue to be. Our guys continue to answer back again and again. I've never heard Mike say something where he references back and thinks about other teams that he's, you know, quote, unquote. Like, Mike usually says, I'm really proud of these guys. They're relentless. They've overcome a lot. I've never heard Mike go back in time and compare it to anything else he's dealt with where say, I don't know, I've ever been more proud of a team. I think that's really telling is all I was trying to get at.
1: No, that's it really is. It's like. So like I said, man, this is a team that lost their best hitter, uh, their best pitcher, and well, arguably the best pitcher, and their second best bullpen arm. Um, and frankly, before the year they lost their second best defender in Jerion Ely. Um, but you know, and they keep just keep showing up and fighting. Um and they've had some things go their way from an on-the-field standpoint. Obviously, the what happened against Mississippi State, what happens against Texas AM, uh really unfortunate. And they they just kind of that's you know. I think this term, the, the, the term toughness is, is overused in today's society with coaches and whatnot, but, like, they're the walking embodiment of it and, and what people mean when, when they talk about toughness. Like, there could have been a lot of times this year where when this club throws in the towel, um, and, and to their everlasting credit, they did it, and the large reason they did it is because the guy that took the ball on Friday night, because, frankly, and I said this, <clears throat> if I got him and he's available, I, I'll go to war against anybody with that cat
0: dead on. And you talk about the time to do it. It was now it was this no. you lose a series against a bad A and M team. Cause your manager made a boneheaded dis- series of decisions in the eighth inning. And you had a, you know, your bat- your closer wasn't great and gave up the grand slam, whatever. Like that's a guy that's been good for you all year. Like nothing is going their way at that point. You'll lose Gunnar Hoagland for the year you know, before you play another game, right, they announced that. I guess it may have happened after Little Rock, but you get my point. The time to wilt and the time to say this isn't our year, whatever, is now. Because would you have been stunned not knowing what you know now, just DNA this team aside, just if you were looking at this team on paper and you hadn't watched any games all year and you look at where they are at the point in the season you knew the injury news, like, would you have been stunned if Vanderbilt had come in and just mowed Ole Miss down and beat the living hell out of them for three games?
1: No, I've seen that before. Exactly. I've seen.
0: And the exact yeah. opposite happened.
1: Yeah, and that's impressive. Um, and good on those kids, man. They continue to fight. That's that's never been – look, I've got a lot of criticisms with Mike Bianco. I really do. Um, I, I don't really agree with a lot of things that he does, and then that's fine. He know, he's forgotten a lot more baseball, than I'll ever know it. He's, he's proven to be a really good baseball coach. One thing you'll, you'll never be able to say about him or his kids, they they, they don't quit fighting. And, and, you know, we can talk about June and his, you know, not getting it done and not getting to Omaha as much as people want, whatever. Over the course of the season, his kids don't give up. And that, I can't say that about every team uh, in the SEC. I mean, frankly, you look around, some, some teams right now have given up. Um, but over the course of 56 games and however long they play in the postseason, those, those kids are going to fight and they're going to come at you.
0: Well said. Let's answer our uh, listeners' questions. Uh, I'll give one more shout-out to the listeners. I heard from a lot of people this weekend. I <coughs> appreciate everyone listening to the show. I've been shocked. Uh, not shocked, but I've been pleasantly pleased, surprised with how this uh, this has grown. It's been fun to do on Sunday and Friday nights in particular. So I appreciate everyone out there, and we will try to drop some knowledge bombs on y'all. Here we go. Silly <laughs> man, chilly man, who's a frequent... I still don't understand. Anyway, I don't get the internet. Um, if He asked if... Ole Miss wins the series next week against Georgia. Who is the first opponent in Hoover, and how far in the tournament do you see us going? Um, against Georgia, well, one—it's going to be all, very hard to answer that right now, right? There's going to be shaked out.
1: Oh yes, there is. Um, I can tell you this: if you're, if they're going to be the five seed, if they're going to be the five seed, the opponent's going to be, I think, Auburn. Um, outside of that, it's just there's so many things. Look, if they win the series, they're going to be either the five six they're either going to be the four five or six seed i would lean probably to the five or six because you're competing with state and florida who you don't have tiebreakers over um i would lean that they probably play a combination of auburn or kentucky how far can they go not very far i mean i think they can get to friday i think doug wins on tuesday whoever he throws against assuming he throws um but i i this team does not feel set up to win in Hoover like some past teams.
0: Agree, they don't have the pitching depth, and that's okay.
1: Well, uh, it's it's that they don't have the pitching depth, and I think their offense kind of gets mitigated a little bit in Hoover.
0: I definitely agree with that part of it because that is a different type of ball um, over there. I want uh, just for the before we move on to the next question, the way he phrases the question, there's a chance that he was asking how far do you see Ole Miss going in the NCA tournament. So, just answer that. Um, how
1: far can I see them going? I can yeah. see them going to the College World Series. Um, I actually believe I gonna, that as well. I mean, I, I didn't back down when, when Gunner went out. This team still go to the College World Series. There's been a lot worse teams than the old Miss Rebels go to Omaha before. Um, and it, as currently constructed. So, you know, I mean, frankly, right now, I'll tell you that. I'll say it straight up. I think this team's better as currently constructed. The 2018 baseball team. 2018 baseball team team should have gone to the college (laughs) golfers. They just hit, man. They hit so much better. Um, I don't know. I I could be wrong, and and I'm not, you know, willing to say that I could be wrong there. I just – I kind of – look, I mean, they didn't pitch as well as people think on that 18 baseball team, and they hit a whole hell of a lot better than than they did.
0: That's very true, because 18, if I'm not – Allison was not that good in 18. No. And Fogel was fun. Yeah, yeah, Fogel was fun. but you're exactly right. I, you're, you're talking me into it. The more and more you say it, the more and more I uh, I think I agree. The uh, next question I, – I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I, I wouldn't – I believe that as well. I wouldn't be stunned if they went to the College World Series. If they got bounced in a regional because they ran and got in the loser's bracket and ran out of pitches. Um, Winston-Bee. I'll
1: say this. I'll be shocked if they lose a regional if they hold Doug case.
0: Fair enough. That may uh that that's fair. Do you guys think McDaniel should be moved up to Saturday? Also, did this team just lock up a regional host? We did answer the McDaniel part of it uh, earlier in the show, so I don't think we need to rehash that. The answer is no. I just don't think you're gaining anything out of that. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Did they yeah, just lock your- up a regional host? I guess technically not, because you don't need to no. get up next weekend, but they're 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 sticking the key in the lock, you'll put it down yeah way. they they ourselves.
1: need one next weekend, and they're not getting swept next weekend, so for all intents and purposes, yes,
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, just not I mean obviously I guess for 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 everyone out there sake, knock on wood, but like, yeah, you're right, I mean i don't they haven't been swept all year, they're going to get swept by Georgia, so no, not technically, but you one went away from absolutely cementing it. um, let's see, who would you least I say hold, hold on
1: real quick, I will say this. People do need to understand that their seeds are one through sixteen and that locking up a regional host, like yes, you can lock up a regional host, but you don't want to be the fifteen seed and go into Arkansas either. You'd <laughs> much rather, even if you're not a national seed, be the eleven seed. So there's still a lot to play
0: for. Oh, that certainly matters. You yeah, that that's a great way to put it. Um although don't you think Arkansas would be the one?
1: Well, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, but whatever. You don't want to be the sixteen and then have go good Arkansas. So.
0: No, right. I I, I wouldn't like. That. I yeah, wouldn't The guy on you. I was just thinking out loud because I saw that dust up today and they had a huge series win at Tennessee. So I think they're on their way yeah. to the fast track. The one seat we can hit that real quick at the end. Uh, who would you want to fight on this team and why is it? Prob. Who would you least want to fight on this team and why is it probably Ben Van Cleve? Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd want to screw with Leatherwood or McCants either. McCants is just, like, cool. Like, McCants would slit a juggler without you knowing he moved a muscle.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to, him I'm trying to, just, I'm trying to just go through. No, I don't know. Who I, look, Ben Van Cleve, I think's first. I'm not screwing with Doug Nikhazy. That dude seems a little weird, a little, a little crazy. Well, he might
0: pick like, your nose and eat it and get it in your head. Like, you you just looked up and this dude's, like, drop kicked you in your throat. That's a good I'm point. I'm screwing with that guy. I uh, – and as you mentioned today, it, it sounds like – it, allegedly, allegedly, you may not want to screw with Austin Miller.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm pretty sure it was him. My man was ready to have, have a have a conversation with Dick Maldonado, whoever it was. Look, man, they don't screw
0: around in Iowa.
1: <laughs> Calvin Harris would have been right behind him.
0: Yeah, so Iowa's strong. I uh, I think they wrestle in court. I don't know. Wrestling's a big deal in Iowa, so maybe I'm onto something there. It is. Uh, let's see. What was the next question we had? I there was, is a
1: question about Ole Mrs. two-hole hitter that I want to get to.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I do as well. Why don't we just get that? What do you do, if anything, uh, about Chatagnier? All so, right. So, let's do this. I'll, I'll just set the table for you real quick. Chatagnier in SEC play is a – let's see. Let me make sure I have this correct.
1: It's like 250.
0: Yeah, two sixty with a seven something, low seven something OPS.
1: Yeah, not really. Good. Um, so here's here's my issue with what happened today from the lineup. And everybody's like, "Oh, they scored thirteen runs. That's great. That is great. They, they scored thirteen runs." Um, how do you justify <clears throat> dropping Hayden Dunhurst and leaving Peyton Chatney where he, where he was? Um, didn't really understand that. And obviously, he doesn't have a good day today. I look. There's some people advocating for Peyton Shadney to come off the field. And I'm like, first off, like, for who? Uh, Second off, no. Like, the kid's a really good defender. Um, He's your spark plug. We've seen what this team goes to when Peyton Shadney is not in. Um, But I do think it's probably time to drop him in the lineup a little bit. And it's maybe it's just get some pressure off of him. But I – and and some of this isn't Chatney's fault. I just kind of think there's better options right now in the two-hole. And, look, obviously he struggled. But, like, that has something to do with, like, hey, Jacob Gonzalez, Kevin Graham, T.J. McCants, Hayden Leatherwood, um, and Hayden Dunhurst have really hit. So, let's get one of those guys that have had really good years into the two-hole. And, and let like, I don't think Peyton Chatney is going to continue to struggle. I think he's going to find it. I just kind of think that those guys have had good enough years where it's time to justify – uh, and it's time to move somebody like that into the
0: two-hole. I agree, and if you want to get into lineup construction, is is Hayden Leatherwood the greatest eight-hole hitter of all time? What what, yeah. what I got to do to move up?
1: Yeah, um, Ole Miss, here's your fun stat. Ole Miss has two of the highest uh, ten batting averages in SEC play, and before today they were hitting sixth and eighth.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: That's a, before today, t- hitting sixth and eighth.
0: Uh, I got one to counter with you. Peyton's <clears throat> last multi-hit game in the SEC was April twenty-fourth against LSU. Yeah, and and before that game, it wasn't good either. No, um, he had a tough weekend against Mississippi State. Kind of the peak shot in Yay was he had like seven or eight hits the Arkansas weekend. He Arkansas was really weekend. nasty that weekend. Uh, but it had been a struggle since. I'm kind of in the same boat. There's nothing. Uh, there's there, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Like he's got to play. He's got to continue to play. I'm on board with you. I think he's going to figure it out again. The kid's been too consistent of a hitter throughout most of this season. And yes, I'm still saying most, even though it's been kind of a rough three, four week stretch for him. Uh, And just throughout his career. So I I, I don't really have it. Yes. It's not good right now. I'm definitely on board with the dropping him from the two hole thing. I think that's, that's kind of dumb for the most part Um, anyway. But I'm definitely down for dropping him. You know that's kind of inadvertently screwed is Kevin Graham. Look at Kevin Graham's RBI total compared to the yep. guys in SEC and and sitting in front of him.
1: No, I think Kevin Graham's exactly where he needs to be in the four hole.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, no, no I'm not advocating for moving him. I'm just saying Chatigny struggling right now is affecting other people too. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, and I and I think some of that is why Mike moved him to the four hole. I mean, let's look. I think Mike's one, three, four. I'll stop there. I think it's one, three, and four are correct. It's just what do you do in the two-hole? And, you know, I don't know what that answer is, but I kind of think Peyton Chatney is not it right now. So, I don't know what you do. If it's Justin Bench or if you move, you know, hey, Dunhurst back up, whatever, I think you just kind of got to do something there.
0: I think so, too. I think he ends up figuring it out, but I do think you have to do something in the two-hole. We had a follow-up question uh not follow up question. We had a question that ties in nicely that. If you were the manager, what would your lineup be? And we'll just for the sake of it, we'll go batting order because we've been well versed in where we would play people in the field. Just what's your Sure. Batting? Okay, so like
1: <laughs> it's weird because I, I could give my lineup and it would look nothing like Mike Bianco's. Um but uh, hell, I'll do it. I would go TJ McCant's first. Uh, I like that. I would go Kevin Graham second. I would go Jacob Gonzalez third, Hayden Leatherwood fourth, Hayden Dunhurst, fifth, Justin Bench, sixth. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting somebody. I've got Ben Van Cleve and K. Oh yeah. Uh Chatney seventh. Uh Ben Van Cleve slash Calvin Harris eighth. And then Kel Baker ninth.
0: I don't have any qualms with that. I, don't, I, I I just now looking at this question, so I have not had time to think about this. So I'm just going to agree for the sake of agreeing. Maybe I'll drop yes. it on Tuesday or Friday show. But generally, I agree as well. Uh, and one thing I'll point out, and too, and I have nothing to back this up. Uh, during Chatagnier's struggles, he's had a couple I, – I, in my mind, he's had a, quite a few hard-hit balls that have not out. Grass as well. There's been some poor fortune in Yates future as well, but he's also had bad at bats. Like though, you know, they get the first two guys on, in the third today, and he has that bad strikeout. It didn't end up coming back to bite him, but like he he, he's, he swung at some rough pitches too. He didn't. Yeah. I don't know. He, he seemed like a lot more disciplined hitter when he was a better version of himself than he is now.
1: Sure. I think I misspoke. I would have Hayden Leatherwood second and Graham fourth. But yes, uh, completely agree. Um, he so tries to pull off. I was going to ask
0: you when we were talking about the shot thing like why can Hayden Leatherwood not hit in the two hole? He, he's statistically their best hitter at SEC plate, don't you? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the modern way of thinking about the game of baseball well, is to you put your, guy he, is your best guy in he, the two hole. You got to remember now he can't
1: lay down a bunt. So, big deal. <laughs> can't lay it down. You know you got to lay it down on the two-hole.
0: That's true. He can't lay it down. And maybe that's the fact that if if your philosophy is thinking about your two-hole hitter bunting, then your two-hole hitter is probably not his to be. Hold on. I just had
1: a galaxy brain thought. Do you think – because I think we both know Mike Clement is a little bit more analytically minded than Mike Bianco. Do you think that Mike Clement has just decided to start recruiting people that can't bunt?
0: Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> Dude, I'm
1: honestly
0: if i were still around and like going every day that's not something i would ever ask in the media scrum but clement's approachable enough i might have pulled him off to the side had you given me this idea two years ago and been like is there any life to this you don't have to say yes just blink twice for yes like, <laughs> it just said, you know what mike
1: i'm tired of bunny so watch this
0: <laughs> i don't hate this take at all that's uh that is Galaxy Brain stuff. I love that. I, you uh, know what? I've still got some well embedded moles over in that program, so I, uh, I, I might see if I can find an answer for you, <laughs> even if it's not me and myself.
1: Oh goodness!
0: All right, let's see. We already answered that one. Um, any chance we do sexy time Saturdays on the pod? What the? No. I, I don't know. What is that? Am I missing a reference? What is that? I don't know, but no. Okay, sure. No, <laughs> I don't know what that is, man. No, you, some of you people are weird. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? Sorry, what <laughs> what team year was Love is Gone dance thing started? Do you not know how this works, dude? You answered this, Con for the, the, the business, I didn't know it was
1: a I didn't know it was a podcast question. I just thought somebody tweeted at me. Uh, okay, yeah, it was fair enough, I was going to
0: have to chastise you. I was like, do you not know how our business model works? One, you're paying me to podcast, not the other <laughs> way around. And two, the business model is to get people to listen to the pod. That's really take questions. But you said 2010. Do you remember how that started Honestly, Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, I'm pretty confident it was Aaron Barrett. I think this is right. I may be wrong. Actually, I think I'm wrong now. I'm, I'm, I am wrong. It was 2009. They uh they went to the Miami regional in 08, and I think they kind of stole it from them.
0: That's exactly what it had to be because I knew they took it from Miami because someone made that snarky comment one time when things weren't going bad that nothing about Ole Miss baseball is original, and it made me laugh. I don't necessarily think that's true. I'm not I, I'm not backing up the statement, but the fact that that was taken from Miami is uh is kind of funny. So that would make sense. That's the right timeline. I uh, that would, that would certainly makes yeah. sense. Pretty sure that's what it was. Let's see. We only got a couple more left, I think. All year long, we said 18 wins in conference play. I love yeah. the beat. We are all one big family here. That's uh, Love that. No, no sarcasm at all. That's funny. And uh, all year long, we said 18 wins in conference play gets uh, Ole Miss a national seed. If you take the series against Georgia and reach 18, do you still slide into a national seed? Personally, um, I don't think so I, without a very strong showing in Hoover thoughts. I actually kind of intend to agree with him. Yeah. That's a very much a this year thing and the top heaviness of the SEC because in years past, it's always held true that 18 gets you a national seed. Well, uh, as John Ashton Hicks, I am in agreement with him on this. I don't so, think that's so
1: true. I, because I'm a nerd, have done a lot of like, I have a spreadsheet of national seeds that from the SEC. Here, Here's the parameters. Uh, yeah 18 wins is the minimum and and I thought this year that would probably get it but 18 wins you have to have 20 conference wins to be a national seed. now 18 of them have to come in the regular season if Ole Miss wins 18 and then goes and wins two in Hoover I think there's a real chance there'll be one um, but yeah I, I do think 18 and, and two wins in Hoover is enough outside of that especially this year I, I just kind of don't see it um, but you know there's a real chance they get that done too, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to take 18, which is two next week, and then two in Hoover to to be in that conversation.
0: And this, I don't think this is necessarily correct. I'm wrong, and I know it's impossible to predict the future without like knowing how things play out. Stating the obvious, there that was a dumb statement. But I don't think this is indicative of any sort of trend. I think this is a weird year. Like I think that 18 yeah. rule will still generally hold true. Do you not? I think this is kind of a this is an anomaly. I guess yeah. i'm
1: Trying to get at. Well, I mean, you're talking about seven SEC hosts and nobody else making the field at this point. I mean, that, that's a real possibility. You have seven hosts and nobody making the field, so it's a top-heavy league, as you said. So, yeah, it's kind of just a weird year. I mean, if you remember, the 16 team uh, won 18 games and wasn't one. So, uh, just kind of a weird year. And, and you know, that those kinds of things happen. The 16 team, they, the SEC was top-loaded like that at, that year. And uh, just They Miss, also got uh,
0: job. They were better than OSU by every metric and had yep. the head to that, that was just a classic purple and gold thing. But I, I get your point. I get, I get your yeah.
1: point on that. Sure. It's just, you know, I mean, you, you it's kind of just an unfortunate year for, for Ole Miss to be in this position. But in saying that, I mean, they, they look, I, I'll say this. Ole Miss controls its destiny to be a national seat. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. They don't need help. They need to go win two at Georgia and then win some games in Hoover and they'll be one. Um, just it's a good bit of work.
0: Yeah, and, it, you know, that's kind of the mindset going into next weekend. If you sweep your, you find a way to get three games on the road next week. Yeah, well, no, no.
1: Now, now, let me be very clear. Uh, if they don't give a 1911 SEC team a national seed, then somebody's going to see me.
0: Somebody's going <laughs> to see me. Someone's going to prison. No, I, I – I, 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 that's what I was kind of getting at is, you know – not that they need motivation or anything going into next weekend, but if you get three, that's a well-earned national seed. I don't really care how many SEC schools are national seeds. Like you said, if you're 1911 and you don't get a national seed, something, like someone someone got an answer for that one, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, go in three next and That'll help the cause for sure.
0: All right, first question from Grant CJ. These are two good ones. If Ole Miss has to play a fourth game in a regional, who starts that game and right. that pitch and relief prior to that during the – Yeah,
1: the, the answer to that second question is yes. The answer to the first question is I have no idea. and And they don't know that because they're not going to hold anything back in those first three games. If you're talking about a fourth game, I would assume you're talking about a game on Monday night. They're not going to hold anything back to save for Monday with as limited as this bullpen is. So my answer to the question is – Yes, that person will have thrown, and I have no idea who it is.
0: Is there any shot it's
1: Mr. Nikhazy? I,
0: mm, Yes. I think so, too. I, I don't necessarily – I think it, it was
1: – I thought you were about to say somebody else, and I was going to have. I was gonna come through the
0: phone. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't I – wasn't, dude, God help me if that happens. He, he wouldn't start the game. I'd go take him out.
1: I'd go take Mike out.
0: I think most of the people who listen know us well enough by now, but, but you're referring to Josh Mallett.
1: Yeah. I, it, look, I, I think that kid – I hate on that kid too much. I actually do think he'll be good by the time he leaves, but it ain't this year.
0: No, so do I. It's, 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 less, it's, it's not hating on Josh Mallett. It's the unfair situations as a freshman that Mike used to put him in. <laughs> yeah. It's more, it's, more of a, it's more of a five thing. The second year – excuse me, the second part of his question, in five years if someone asked you to make an all-time Ole Miss lineup, who has a better chance of being in it, TJ McCants or Jacob Gonzalez?
1: Gonzalez, because I think he just, I think he has better quality at bats, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's McCants either.
0: I think I will agree with your answer either, but like, I, there's also a world where McCants just becomes a three year machine as a hitter, and you just, have oh, this. yeah. And see, I think the evolution, you talk about the, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some flash value to being the shortstop. There's a world where T.J. McCants is the shortstop and Jacob Gonzalez finishes his career at third base at Ole Miss, is there not?
1: There is,
0: but I'll say this. He keeps getting better in center
1: field, and he's going to turn himself into an elite center fielder. And while Gonzalez is not an elite shortstop, I think he's pretty pretty fine. And you would rather have, you know, If you could have an elite center fielder and a good enough shortstop, I think you'd take that and try to plug in third base, especially, you know, when these guys are only going to be here three years and you're talking about Elko probably being back, I would think Elko probably plays third next year.
0: I'll go down that rabbit hole. Why not? I've already kept you long enough. Do you think he comes back?
1: I do. Yeah. I do. Because I don't think he's going to get drafted high enough to to warrant um, warrant going. And just some tea leaves, I, I do think Tim Elko's back next year.
0: That's – uh, I. the more and more I think about it, I actually got asked that question by someone I sat next to, and I talked to myself in the same thing. I originally was like, no, and then I was like, actually, when you look at gain versus loss, like, if you, you think, it's almost like the Jake Mangum thing. Like, why not kind of submit myself as a college legend and then see what happens after that, right? Because if Tim Elko has the year he had this year and finished it next year, he's he's an all-time old Miss favorite for a lot of Yeah, eights. I mean, it, well
1: it- – yeah, he's already, he's already pretty close to one right now.
0: No, no, exactly. It's it, yeah. the same thing as Mangum. Mangum already was before he came back for that last year, but you just take it to a whole nother level. And that's got to be appealing. So, basically, what I'm saying is in 2040, Ole Miss Athletic Director will be Tim Elko.
1: <laughs> I've heard crazier things.
0: Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not exactly saying that, but I mean, could you not see Jake Mangum being state's AD in 25 nah, years? yeah,
1: I absolutely could say see that for exactly. sure. Exactly,
0: like that. That man. That man will never have to pay for another. You know, Keith, Carter.
1: Keith Carter's ears just part perked up at 19 years him being gone because I don't yeah, think he's planning on going away.
0: I saw Keith this weekend. I said hello. It's good to see him as well. Um, I, I don't think he listens to this podcast on the off chance. That was not a uh, fire Keith Carter in 19 years thing. It was more so just throwing out a hypothetical. So I'd like to clear my name there. Um, Let's see. I think we got through all the questions. Let me make sure because I – no, sorry. Was Kimbrell the MVP of today? Uh, yeah, I'd give uh, it. the word.
1: Yeah, yeah, because somebody had to get those outs. So I'm fine with that, yeah.
0: Does pineapple belong on a pizza? I'm f- uh yeah, I'm I'm a pineapple and pizza guy. So I'm not even a pineapple and pizza guy per se. I, I I don't even know if I've ever tried it on a pizza. I don't hate pineapples, but my thing is, and I know these arguments are somewhat tongue in cheek, so I get that. So I'm not trying to be that guy. But like, put whatever. Like we in the south. Eat basically the rear end of some kind of bug that lives in the mud and suck its tail for juice. Like put whatever the hell you want on a pizza, man. That makes you happy. Like I mean, as long as as long as we're not ordering well done steaks here, we're good. Yeah, the Seattle Mariners were selling uh, deep fried and like chocolate covered grasshoppers a couple years ago. Uh, like eat whatever the <laughs> hell you want, pal. Like the, I mean, God knows what they eat in Louisiana. Half of it comes off the highway pavement. Like. Put whatever you want on anything you want. God knows what
1: I eat at 3 a.m. in college too.
0: I, I was going to say I had chicken on a stick twice this week. I had six crispitas this weekend, and I'm not embarrassed to admit that at all. Between the three days, let me let me I don't ask, even know what a crispito is, so eat what you want.
1: Let's ask. The, let's ask the pertinent question here. When you had the chicken on the stick, what 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 are what is our BAC or are, are we are we sober? Are we not sober? What are we looking at?
0: Ah, oh, dude. Uh, not, uh, the, uh, sorry, my mom's listening to this show. I'm not logging into chicken on a stick for lunch and ordering that. Okay,
1: that's what I'm going to ask. Have you ever had it sober?
0: Uh, yeah, it's not that good. I it's it not actually, that
1: great. <laughs>
0: yeah, I had it after a night of studying. It. I don't even actually get the chicken on a stick. My go-to order is a pizza stick, an egg roll, and a crispito in two of each if uh, if, if a few more, if few more drinks had been consumed. I'd just leave it. Look,
1: in. look. I look, chicken on the stick is perfectly fine like if you just want to roll up and grab one but there's something different about that thing at about Saturday at 1:28 a.m. after you may maybe have been on the square for a few hours that thing you would convince god made it himself.
0: Oh, it yeah, you're dead on and I like I said I don't even get it. And like I went <laughs> on after a night of study and I had a I I'd had the usual order Wait, you studied in college? very rarely this was uh this was back when uh I didn't think school was a scam no I'm just kidding kind of but you're not it was a rarity so I came back from the library like the other library the real one for a sec- or not the real one excuse me the books one for a second and I was like you know what everything's closed I'll get chicken on stick or and so I got it I took one bite into the egg roll sober and I was like Jesus, I'm an animal. Like, how do I eat this? And then two days later on a Friday night, I guarantee you I ate $15 worth of that shit.
1: Oh, that's the best part. You walk in and check it on the stick. I'm like, it's pretty expensive. And like, you buy this food and it's like $22. You're like, yeah, sounds good.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, if they were like, it'll be 50. I'm like, here, take 75. Like, (laughs) I don't care. Give me the food. I just want this. Uh, let me make sure. That was all the questions we had. I'll let you get out of here. I, can I do one airline complaint? No, go ahead. So one, like I mentioned earlier on the internet, in one of the most selfless acts of humanity, at least of the last two decades, I had airline troubles today, as I outlined, and did not tweet about it. So credit to me.
1: Credit to you. <laughs>
0: Huge credit to me. I did not tweet American Air and say, hi, I'm delayed. Fix this now. Because... The guy running American Airlines' is Twitter, who's actually probably sitting closer to my house than I was at that point, American Airlines uh, campus is right next to my house, <laughs> was gonna do anything about my canceled flight from Memphis. So I didn't tweet about that. I do have one that level of complaint. So I'm sitting on this plane, and it's only like an hour, hour and twenty minute flight, and but we get delayed on the tarmac because there's a uh, because there's weather, uh, weather issues in DFW. So I'm sitting on this plane for probably a good two hours and I'm on the aisle seat, or excuse me, the window seat. So I'm furthest away from the aisle. Right. And I have to pee and I don't want to make this poor old couple next to me get up if they don't have to. So I hold it, whatever. And then for most of that flight, to be honest, other than about 25 minutes of it, we're in either takeoff or prepare for landing mode to where they don't let you stand up right like seats fastened back or seat like trays fastened up large electronics up like you can't stand right you know they make you do that pretty early on the flight when you're about to land so right 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 right. so i I can't so other i had about a 25 30 minute window to go to the bathroom and i didn't because i was like i'm fine well then we take an alternate like a, a longer route to DFW be, to get around the weather. So that adds another 30 minutes to the flight. And then we get stuck because all the gates are taken. So we sit another 20 minutes once we land, waiting for a gate to open up. And at this point, I'm at the two minute warning. Like I, I'm i on the verge of looking around the people behind me and be like, save your wife and children because outside's not the only place it's about to flood. There's left to be a problem. So <laughs> I'm seriously there in almost like physical pain. I was like, I have to go to the bathroom, and this is not going to be good for the people around me if this does not get to a gate soon. So on top of all that, once we get into a gate, everyone, the people that stand up and stand in the aisle as soon as the plane gets to the gate drive me insane. There's a system to how this works. The front of the plane gets off first, the back of the plane, you get off by the order you're seated in. The person at the front row gets off first, then the second, and so on. What a concept, right? Well, now I'm sitting here, and and I get people have connections to make, but if you're one of the people that stands up on a flight after it ends at the back of the plane and just starts clogging up the aisle, stop being a bad person. Stop doing it. It drives everyone else insane. So now I'm having to pee. I'm having to focus on not, you know – peeing my pants and ruining everyone's day around us with the scene I'm about to cause. And my bag, the carry-on is two or three rows back because it was a full flight, so it was full. And so when I get off, out of my seat, now I'm having to wade through a sea of brainless morons to go backwards who are looking at me like I just discovered fire over the concept of I have to go back three rows of seats to get my bag because it's already full. And then run off the plane and find a bathroom. Like, can we stop doing that? Can you just sit in your seat until the people in front of you get off? Like, stop doing it. God, it pissed me off today. Thoughts. (laughs)
1: Look, I, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to drop a bomb on you. I have never flown in my life. And every time I hear about people talking about flying, it like, it gives me more reason to never fly.
0: One, you're on to something there, too. You've never flown. That's crazy. You're okay. So, yeah. Us?
1: Do what? You just drive everywhere? Yeah, pretty much. I, yeah, I need to travel more. I've never really gotten out of the South because, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Growing up, um, I played baseball every weekend all summer. And then, like, so we didn't have, like, our vacations were baseball. Um, and then, you know, like, in college, when i do spring break, like, I would just, I would like go to Destin or Orange Beach, whatever. So no, I've I, the only time I could have considered flying was when I went to Omaha in 2014 when Ole Miss went. Uh, but outside of that, like I've never gone far enough where you'd even consider flying.
0: Fair enough. You're probably onto something there because it sucks. Because I had the day from hell. I had a bag issue at the end. So yeah, maybe the moral of the story is what you said: never fly. That's actually not as uncommon as you'd think. I had two buddies in college who had not ever flown commercially until our senior year spring break trip and everyone was <laughs> surprised. And I'm like, actually, you know, if you grew up your whole life in the South, like, you know, we vacation at the beach, you can drive pretty much anywhere else. Unless you're right. really trying to go somewhere far out or you're doing it for convenience. That's actually not that shocking. Now, if you're 50 and you've never set foot on an airplane, then I'm going to have some questions. I'm flying
1: somewhere this summer. It's either Omaha, Nebraska, or Los Angeles, California, but one of them's happening.
0: happy. Okay. That, that yeah. Nice one. <laughs> Because uh, I'm not driving back
1: to Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, that, that, that drive is absolutely brutal. Okay, so two tips for when you do fly. There's two people you're going to want to punch in the face. Someone who claps when the plane lands and the idiots who get up and stand and clog the aisle at the back of the plane when the plane first uh, uh, <laughs> lands. So be on the lookout for those people because uh, they're not your friends. They're not, I do not want to be around those human beings. I've kept you for two hours. Once again, this is our Sunday Megapod. I appreciate the time as always. It was incredibly awesome to get back to Oxford this weekend, see some people, talk to some people that listen to the show. This has been a ton of fun. Dude, I appreciate your time as always, and we'll be back at it. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. We're going to have another live brainstorm session. Possibly another live show this week. They're on the road, and it's a Thursday, Saturday. All
1: right. Uh, so, so it's the boys' birthday on Friday, so it can't be Friday. Not going to be not going to be a situation where I can do it on Friday. Maybe
0: Thursday, though? Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll ponder the idea Thursday. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Happy early birthday. If I forget on <laughs> Friday, don't call me a bad friend. And uh, we'll, we'll kick around the idea Thursday.
1: That sounds good. Sounds good.
0: Awesome. Everybody have a safe and happy start to their week. Once again, thank you very much for listening. Go check out my guys, Skybox. Go check out the guys at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Have a safe and happy start to your week. See you, dude. I'll talk to you later this week.
1: Sounds good, my man.